0: Good morning. Welcome to Wake Up Carolina. Thursday morning, May the eighteenth. eight four three six six one zero nine three seven. Good morning, Josh. Good morning. Good morning, Royal Rev. Good morning. Do we want to talk base? The Braves win last night. Uh, they did win. Okay. Ooh. So, so the Braves are winning about not uh, two or three, basically. Yeah, uh, yeah, about two or three. Yeah, they're winning about two of every <laughs> three games they play. If you take that Blue Jay series out from last weekend, yeah. Let's do this. Let's do what but, every fan that one wants didn't to count. do. Let's, let's, um, if, if you're a Gamecock fan, let's take the Kentucky series out. That didn't count. Right. I mean, let's go to the Florida series, right? I feel,
1: I feel much better doing l- it. That l- way. Let's
0: go. If we're a Braves fan, let's go when they swept the whomever they swept. I mean, that, those are the only series that count. Right. That's right. I mean, let's forget the Blue Jay series. Uh, somebody <laughs> from Clemson or Jason Priester of, um, you know, Jason joins us during football season with allclemson.com text me yesterday and asked, they said, you know, what's wrong with the Gamecock baseball team? I mean, they were one of the better teams in America for the majority of the year. And all of a sudden, they've fallen on hard times. And Jace was trying to be very, um, very selective in his words. He said, you know, I know they've had a rash of injuries. And I said, they have. They've, they've had a rash of injuries. Obviously, that takes its toll. But baseball's a funky game. I mean, we've said that forever and ever and ever and ever. Just when you think you have baseball figured out, You realize you don't. Um, If sports has gods, the basketball gods, the football gods, the tennis gods, the golf gods, the baseball gods have more of a sense of humor than anybody. I mean, I really believe that. (laughs) If there are gods out there somewhere who construct the orderly fashion of which we compete in sports and athletics, the baseball gods have far more of a sense of humor than anybody else. Because they will humble you in a way. It's just a finicky game. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a very, very finicky, temperamental game. Imagine this: George Brett, when inducted into the Baseball Hall of Fame, I mean, he thanked Charlie Lau, and his big part of thanking Lau was Brett was. Um, I mean, he had a propensity to strike out more than he needed to. I mean, he was batting third for the uh, for the, uh, and this would have been early in his career. I doubt he's batting third for the Royals at that time. But but Charlie Lau said, you know, George. You you can't strike out as much, I mean you got to put the ball in play, but because you know what the difference in a two fifty and a three hundred hitter is, one broken bat blooper a week. <laughs> you know, I mean just just think of that one broken bat blooper a week. So if you can put the ball in play, you know odds are good things will happen. And I, I don't say you know well I mean George Brett and Charlie Lau that, that there there's a direct you know connection there to what's wrong with the Gamecocks. No, it's just baseball's funky. It's real funky, and you can believe you've got it figured out, and then you can look like you've never played the game in your, <laughs> in your life. And you've seen the Braves do that. Oh, I, mean, yeah. I mean, the Braves are full of what? Major League Baseball players. They go to Toronto and just stink it up they for a, a week and could hit a lick. Um, and, and the Braves have had some injuries on their pitching staff, which is a little bit concerning. Uh, Kyle Wright, in particular, is one that concerns me. Soreness in the elbow or shoulder. Yeah, see, Wright has uh, shoulder, and Max Fried has elbow, and, and just I mean that that always freaks. Yep. I mean, they're they're commodities, guys. These are investments. I mean, they're human beings. I get it. They get in probably a, a uh, you know a Range Rover Land Cruiser and drive home <laughs> to, to one of the nicer neighborhoods yeah. of, of Atlanta, but but they're still investments. And anytime you hear the word, uh, especially a pitcher, uh, sore shoulder, sore elbow. Yeah, you just get a little bit nervous about, you know, the one guy that I thought was going to have this sore shoulder or elbow is Spencer Strider. Not not a big, big guy, but throws, you know, 300 miles an hour. I mean, I just assumed he would be the guy breakdown break down quicker. Yeah, he was the starting pitcher last night. Didn't have his best performance, and they,
1: I think when he went out of the game, they were, yeah, maybe they were tied, uh, and apparently,
0: and this was after I went to bed, but they uh, they did pull it out, I think, in the, in the ninth. Okay, so. good deal. The Gamecocks play tonight, tomorrow, and and uh, Saturday, uh, Thursday, Friday, Saturday um, series. We will broadcast, I would imagine. Yep. On our, uh, on on the Gamecocks ESPN game on ninety six point three in the Florence area. Um, but but you know, I said at the beginning of the week, the Gamecocks have gone from being potentially one of the two or three best teams in America to maybe the third best team in South Carolina. I mean, when you look at hot streaks and you know who's playing well right now, Clemson and Coastal are probably playing better than the Gamecocks are right now but the, the, you know that could, that could change the middle of the next week i mean it really and truly could the the Braves the, the, the Braves lose 8 of 12 and then they win 16 of 19 mm-hmm. i mean explain to me i mean if 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 the gods of baseball don't have a sense of humor how could that be i mean football teams don't do that basketball teams don't normally do that I mean, they, they're about who they are through the ballots of the season they may have a bad game here and there but i mean the braves at some point in time in this year will go on a 20 game run of uh, probably playing less than 500 baseball and then they'll go on another 20 game run of playing 750 uh baseball and it's not that unusual to do either so yeah i mean the gamecocks came out the blocks playing real real well um they've hit some 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 rough patches here uh, i told jason a lot of what's wrong with the gamecocks I can't speak for Clemson. Don't keep up with the Tigers as much as I do South Carolina. But but a lot has been wrong with it. I mean, the injuries obviously have taken its toll. But the biggest thing with the game, they played a lot of damn good baseball teams. I mean, a lot of really, really good baseball teams every single weekend. I mean, every weekend you're playing one of the top 10 or 12 teams in America, you're going to lose your fair share of, um, of those games. I think they play Tennessee tonight, tomorrow, and Saturday, and then off to Hoover for the SEC um, baseball tournament. Uh, Clemson, I would imagine in similar fashion closes out their ACC, um, regular season this week, and then off to the ACC, uh, baseball tournament, both look to be in pretty good shape to host a regional. I think the, uh, the RPI for both programs are top 20 ish. So they both appear to be in good shape to host a regional, but, um, but I I don't think either is going to host a super regional. And we said for a long time, the best way to Omaha is through your home baseball field. And if you can figure out a way to capture one of those top eight seeds, I mean, I read a couple of weeks back, it's like, uh, I mean, you, you, your your odds increase threefold if you're hosting the region and the super region. Now, now you could say, well, I mean, it, it matters that much to play baseball on your own baseball field. And to some degree, that's true. But if you've hosted one of the eight regionals, you've proven through the duration of a regular season, you're a pretty good baseball team. It's not just playing at home. You've proven that you are a really good baseball team and would probably fare well um, no matter where you played. 843-661-0937. I don't know if you saw this story. We talked a lot about the um, – we got a particular call that wants to talk more about the Mueller report, but we talked a lot about the Durham uh, report. I went back yesterday, and I want to save this for a few uh, moments. I went back yesterday and read um, the, the actual charges – uh, the, the, uh, the summary of the trial Stanford law does a pretty good job of, um, of following up on some of these cases, um, about, uh, not in the Mueller investigation, but the criminality involved in the Mueller investigation relating to Michael Flynn and Paul Manafort in particular, we've heard those names by certain voices. Um, not just here. I mean, I'm not talking about, I mean, I've heard it at MSNBC and, and CNN, they talked a lot about Paul Manafort. And, um, and Michael Flynn, when you really dig into the argument, when you dig into the, the filings and what they were charged with, what they pled to, what they were found guilty of, I mean, it's lying to the FBI. I mean, there's some irony here. I mean, you're talking about rich <laughs> with irony. Wow. I mean, that, you know, um now Manafort had some issues, uh, bank fraud, tax fraud, uh, one count of failing to disclose an offshore bank account. Submitting false statements in support of residential mortgage loans. I mean, there was the one charge. Um, the 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 majority of these charges. Well, let me, let's say this: of the, I think, sixteen charges, fifteen were not related to the Trump or his work at the Trump campaign. Um, all the charges were unrelated to Manafort's work for uh, the Trump campaign. There was this um this sharing trump campaign polling data with a business associate uh with russian ties kisly if i'm not mistaken uh, one of those one of those names like that that we've become uh you know the russians have these now i guess they may look at the americans joe Smith. that's weird um i don't know you know i don't i don't have any idea what they think of the way uh some of our um some of our normal joe smith john john roberts you know uh uh Kislyev. I mean, that's kind of one of the. Of course, that's his name. I mean, that's every third Russian is named that. But um, but I went back and looked last night at the Stanford um law school's website. Uh, one is very very small um writing. This is the Flynn case, and it says um, you ready? One count of violating 18 USC, not Gamecocks um, <laughs> slash one zero zero one, a felony to make material false statements to federal investigators. Um, in Flynn's case. The false statements had to do with conversations he had in December 2016 with the then Russian ambassador to the United States, Sergey Kislyak, of course. Um, at that time, Flynn was a member of the president's uh, transition team, and in that capacity, he asked Russia through Kislyak to moderate its response to sanctions that the Obama administration had just imposed and not support a resolution that Egypt had committed or submitted to the United Nations Security Council on the issue of Israeli settlements. Soon thereafter, um, Kislyak told Flynn that Russia would comply with both of these uh, requests. The FBI questioned Flynn about these conversations in late January 2017 after President Trump had been sworn in office and Flynn had become his national security advisor. Flynn told the FBI they had not requested through Kislyak that Russia moderate its response to the sanctions and that he had not related or uh, requested that Russia refrain from supporting uh, the Egyptian resolution. So he was found um, guilty of lying to an FBI agent. Imagine the arrogance of an FBI that sits down with Mike Flynn and charges him with lying. (laughs) Now the DOJ subsequently dropped the charges against Mike Flynn. mean, he had to sell his home. I mean, his name is mudd. Uh, he was under attack by the federal government, the deep state. Yeah, I said it before 630 um, this morning. The brief said when, when the, um the well, I'll read it verbatim at the Stanford Law School. What rationale did the DA, DOJ give for dropping the charges against Flynn? Um, the brief the Justice Department filed in court last Thursday said that Flynn couldn't be convicted of violating 18 U.S.C one zero zero one, because his misrepresentations to the FBI weren't material. And the reason they weren't material, the brief said, is because the FBI was not carrying out a legitimate investigation. There wasn't any basis for suspecting Flynn of criminal wrongdoing, and the FBI was not proceeding in good faith. Now, the media never reported that. I I never remember reading that anywhere. But that's news to me, and I do this for a living. But that's news to me, and I doubt very seriously Stanford Law is full of conservatives. I mean, I, I, you know, maybe I'm wrong here. Maybe I'm misunderstanding what sort of person um goes to Stanford Law or what sort of professor um you know blesses this being allowed to be printed on their on their letterhead. But um, but I want to go back. Um, so what I mean, what are they actually saying there? They that the FBI was just fishing for something sure. and got him to make a mistake or, show him or answer. Show me the man, I'll show you the crime. Right. Show me the man, show me somebody associated with Trump and I'll turn him into a criminal. I mean, that was the FBI. That's pretty much what the Durham report says. Right. I mean, the implications are um, do you work with Trump? Yes. Well, I'm sure that there was a moment you submitted false uh statements in support of residential mortgage loans. Or uh, I'm sure that there's some bank fraud here. I mean, didn't you lobby for the Turkish government? Did you report all of that income? Now, now, we've been led to believe by certain people that this is all about Trump. This has very little to do with Trump. I mean, the Manafort charges largely stem from him not declaring income that he made um, lobbying on behalf of foreign governments. I mean, imagine that. Sounds a little like Hunter Biden, doesn't it? Hmm. I mean, it really and truly sounds a little like Hunter Biden. <laughs> it does. Lobbying for foreign governments, two counts of bank fraud, five counts of tax fraud and one count of failing to disclose an offshore bank account. The charges stem from Manafort's political consulting work for a pro Russia political party in Ukraine. Now guess what didn't happen. There were 10 other charges. All of the other charges were related to work at Trump's campaign. Um, the jury was gridlocked on every one of those charges. Um, you know, he retired as campaign chairman after a brief stint. The reason Manafort became campaign chairman was his ability to work the floor at the, remember the Republican National Committee, the convention to which they nominate? Manafort had a lot of experience in understanding how that delegate work is done. Big has explained that, but I mean, it's it's complicated. You got to get, you got to got to wrangle those delegates and make sure, you know, and Trump was a weird candidate, unusual candidate. Um, you know, unusual that somebody like that would get there. No knowledge at all, no, no embedded understanding of the way these conventions work. And we knew there was an attempt to try and kind of um. Remember the Ted Cruz crowd. The Cruz crowd yeah. thought they could take advantage of Trump's team's you know illiteracy and how those conventions work. But but I just went back for my sake because I've heard. You know all these charges against Mueller and Flynn and how associated they were with the Trump campaign. And the only thing I can find here is Mueller, excuse me, Flynn shared some Russian or excuse me, some Trump campaign information with um, with Kislyev of Russia. I mean it, that that's really and truly what it boils down to. Um, and then the DOJ drops the charges against Mike Flynn after he sold his home, after he emptied his retirement account. I mean, after they shattered his reputation, a good soldier, you know, I think a general in the uh, in the, the U.S. Army, and um, you know, just tore him to smithereens, um, d- d- just absolutely obliterated his reputation and name. Um, and then they dropped the charges because they admitted the Mueller investigation admitted there's really no 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 precipice for the launching of of this investigation. There's no predicate for launching. Uh, this investigation, that's actually something the Wall Street Journal reported yesterday, that there was no valid predicate for this investigation, and the FBI knew it. I mean, that's not redstate.com, that's not Fox News, the Wall Street Journal yesterday, the FBI knew there was no predicate. And I still go back to my big concern, and I'm not, I mean, I'm, I'm thinking about Manafort and Mueller, uh, excuse me, Manafort and and Flynn in the Mueller report. Um, the two people charged with with crimes, and I, I I just remember listening yesterday. I mean, Jeff said it, and then I heard some other voices on MSNBC, uh, CBS News had a big story about you know the um well there was collusion. I mean Manafort and Flynn proved there were collusion. Well, I mean if you consider what Flint, if sharing data, I mean maybe that's collusion. I don't know, and but but that, that's not the crime. The crime was lying to the FBI. I say it, I didn't share the data. I mean, it's it, it it's so rich with irony that Mueller, excuse me, that Manafort and Flynn's biggest legal problems came from um, not telling the Federal Bureau of Investigations the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. So help um, me God. Uh, <laughs> that's just that. That's rich. I mean, that that is extremely rich uh, from my perspective. But uh, but once again, uh, Manafort, you know the um the 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 co-conspirator in the Trump Russia collusion if you read um what he was found guilty of in a federal court in Virginia two counts of bank fraud five counts of tax fraud one count of failing to disclose an offshore bank account uh, another count of submitting false statements in support of residential mortgage loans yeah i mean that sounds exactly like conspiring with russia colluding with russia i mean that it's absurd i mean it's it's nonsensical To try and draw some moral equivalency between Manafort and flynn and the fbi i mean that that's just absurd to me and um i mean there are credible arguments to have on this show that there are worthy debates that i'd like to have on this show The, the the equating Manafort, flynn and the federal bureau of investigations is an absurd and elementary argument to try and make take a break back in just a few moments you know, in situations like this, I try to find voices of people who have played it both ways. Remember we say there are Republican candidates who've tried to have it both ways. Nikki Haley kind of our uh, epitomizes wanting to have it both ways. You know, I'm with Trump, then I'm not, then I am, then I'm not. Bill Barr has been a guy who says, you know, some very complimentary things of Trump and then some pretty um some some derogatory things about Donald Trump. And in moments like this, when there's kind of two sides to the debate, The, the Durham report's a bombshell, the Durham report's a dud. I mean, I tend to believe it's a bombshell because it proves beyond a shadow of a doubt the FBI's corrupt. Now, was the election stolen? Don't know, can't answer that. The election was absolutely corrupted, not by the Russians, but rather the Clintons and the FBI. You would expect the Clintons to corrupt elections. We've talked about how corrupt and scummy they are by nature, but Bill Barr has been someone... Uh, who's kind of had it both ways to be honest with you uh the president sucks one day and the president doesn't suck the next day now he doesn't say that because he's dignified and he's esteemed and he's um and he's well regarded in uh, in Washington circles he sat down with Brett Baer yesterday or maybe the day before and I want you to hear about five minutes of what he had to say about the uh the Durham report
2: of your former boss uh his temperament his style um but, in this case, in this effort to go after him, you, you defend him. You think this exonerates him? Well, I, I,
3: I felt uh, as I started learning more and more about Russia Gate, and I've said this is one of the greatest injustices done to a presidential candidate and a president, and he was treated unfairly here. So he is vindicated as far as Russia Gate is concerned. You stop short there. Are you? Well, I've had my differences with him. I've also said that I thought that he had great policies. Uh, There was a a lot of credit for what he accomplished. And this was a grave injustice. And the fact that he was able to accomplish a lot in the face of it, I think was a great achievement. I have other problems. I, I, uh, you know, I'm not supporting him for renomination, but uh, he was right on this. And this is a vindication. He had it right from the beginning.
2: You know, talking about the price of the Durham probe, uh, $6.5 million over four years, a couple days. The Mueller probe was two years plus at about $32 million. Million? Something like that, yeah. Um, is this worth this time and effort? What is the benefit in the long term? This goes to the heart of the, to, p-
3: making sure that law enforcement power is not abused to interfere in politics. This is fundamental in civil rights. I didn't hear anyone complaining when the FBI was being investigated for, for getting into civil rights groups and abuses back in the 60s and 70s. In fact, that was being cheered on by the left. This was investigating a presidential campaign based on a lie, no evidence, not even uh, dismissing all the exculpatory effort, uh, evidence. I invite people to look at that report. It's great reading. and. The number of instances where where the FBI made this, uh, decisions that are inexplicable
2: uh, are, are, are breathtaking. A couple of specifics. Uh, lack of analytical rigor, apparent confirmation bias, and over-willingness to rely on information from individuals connected to political opponents, caused investigators to fail to adequately consider alternative hypotheses and to act without appropriate objectivity or restraint, although recognizing that in hindsight, much is clearer, much of this also seems to have been planned.
3: Right, and it was driven from the top. There was a predisposition to do this. One of the uh, one of the good stories here is that a number of FBI agents throughout this process would say, "Hey, wait a minute, what are we doing here?" and And try to slow things down and point and they were brushed aside. They were reassigned. Uh, and uh, this thing was just driven from the top, as one uh, agent in London said, when they were trying, when they were opening the investigation. You know, this train is coming down the
2: tracks and people have to get out of the way. It's being driven from the top. Are you concerned about the FBI, the DOJ looking at it now?
3: Yes, I, I, I have been concerned about both institutions for, for a long time. And I do think that, uh, you know, that there are more people in those institutions that are, that are willing to uh, engage in politics. But I still think the center of gravity in those institutions among the professionals are still people who can check their politics at the door and do a good job. Another theme in this report is how the Justice Department National Security Division kept on trying to inject some
2: sanity into this thing and fought hard for that. But you see this report, and then you see the Hunter Biden laptop and the 51 signatories to this letter that is Russian disinformation, which then candidate Joe Biden uses in the debate. I mean, it seems to fit this pattern. That was, yeah, it was, it's the same pattern. Absolute lie
3: and uh, then getting political hacks in the case of russiagate it were some of the talking heads we see on on other cable channels uh to endorse it and that's what happened on hunter biden it was an absolute barefaced lie and people knew it was a lie there was no question that was his laptop so it hasn't stopped in other words no no and you know i think one of the problems is that the, the, some of these channels now, these people are implicated in the big lie of Russia Gate. They're implicated in the big lie of the laptop. Uh, they have been, uh, you know, the political operatives that have been peddling this stuff to the American people. Some of them have won pr- uh, prizes, and then they celebrate the civil servants who are responsible for the, you know, the the uh, uh, horrible uh, invest- so-called investigations that were run. And all the breaches of their duties i
0: want to ask you two more things one is that's kind of an interesting perspective the word i mean i I wrote it out the lie and you know um mean, the the majority of his trouble is lying to the fbi my flynn nearly all of his trouble is lying to the fbi i mean you know he he lied about what he did or did not do and and you heard bill Barr, who is i mean once again bill Barr has been a fairly honest broker when it comes to Trump, well, let me he's been an honest, opinionated guy. I mean, it's not like I'm at the tank for Trump. I don't hate Trump. I give him credit on some of these policy initiatives, some of these things he was willing to do. But he got it right when he said, and, I, and I'm telling you guys, there's an opportunity here for Trump to, to reestablish the narrative of his legacy. And it's not stolen. It's as simple as this. The stolen has to be replaced with corrupted. I have exposed corruption in a system like has never been exposed before. You have seen. We have proof now. We have a a validation that that everything we suspected. And Trump will never say, you know, I don't know if I'd won in 2020 without this three-year narrative. I mean, a lot of Seinfeld-watching independents probably still believe that Trump, to some degree, colluded with Russia. The Clintons colluded with Russia. The FBI colluded with Clinton. So, so by some degree of separation, the FBI colluded with Russia in the weirdest way imaginable. And I think the way Bill Barr uses the word lie, I mean, there's intent there. But Barr knows that's a very offensive word, not manipulate, not distort. They lied. They lied about Russiagate. They lied about Hunter Biden's laptop. So why do we believe anything's different today than it was before? It's interesting when he says, I still believe the center of gravity in these organizations Have some morality associated. In other words, that there's some dude today, some lady this morning, putting on you know a a business suit, going to the FBI headquarters with the intent to do you know the right thing. I mean, I, I truly believe that. I don't think everybody at the FBI is on the take, but the but the political operatives within the FBI who have decided that that's the game they want to be a part of instead of true and fair enforcement of our nation's laws. I mean, to, to, to me, they've, well, I'll use this, the word. I mean, they, they've they completely and totally distorted our, our, our perception of the Federal uh, Bureau of Investigations. I've always been, but I mean, it's my nature, guys. I've explained this a thousand times. It's my nature to be cynical. It's my nature to be skeptical. It's my nature to be contrarian. But they're certainly making it easy. I mean, they, they <laughs> really and truly are. I mean, they, they're, and this is not good for America. I mean, this, this is bad for America. And uh, as a patriotic American, the one debt of gratitude I think I have to President Donald Trump is being k- k- kind of the guy that carried the burden. I mean, he was the guy that woke up every day knowing that they were that there were powerful people within powerful organizations trying to beat the hell out of him. I mean, in essence, that, and you know, what we, we talk about, can DeSantis stand up to that? You know, could Nikki Haley stand up to that? I mean, if that's where we are in America, I mean, if the, if the proverbial debate is insider-outsider and the insiders have decided to fight back by any means necessary, I mean, it, it's a mismatch. I mean, th- th- there is no way outsiders win if insiders are amoral. I mean, there's just no way. I mean, if the insider decides to weaponize government agencies that have the ability to indict and arrest, I mean, wh- what do you do there? I mean, it's just, it'll take an ultimate revolution. Who's signing up for that? You know, I mean, I I don't know. I don't know what percentage of Americans are willing to combat in some way, shape, or form. And that's not a wild conspiracy theory, guys. I mean, that's where we're headed. When, When your government can't be trusted, when the law enforcement agency of the government can't be trusted to fairly and equally execute applying justice, I mean, what do the outsiders do at some point in time? I mean, do you continue to be taken advantage of? Do you continue to see an outsider candidate be treated like Donald Trump has been treated? Or do you rear up at some point in time and do something? Now, now, what is that something? I don't know. I don't have any idea what that what that something is. But, 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 but that's that's the story here. And Bill Barr has been around Washington a long, long, long time. I mean, he's respected. Uh, one of the one of the moves that Trump made that some of the insiders kind of supported was placing Barr as Attorney General. Okay, he's not crazy. I mean, he's an outsider. He's a business guy. He's narcissistic and egotistical, but he's not a nut. I mean, he didn't hire Ken R to be his attorney general. I mean, that's kind of what they expected. You know, some, um, with all due respect, some used car salesman from South Carolina to be the attorney. No, he hired a very reputable understanding of the Constitution, law, and the AG's office, and that's the guy that just said Trump was right. I mean, he he was always right. This was a farce. This was a fabrication. Not by just the Hillary Clinton campaign. The FBI decided to be complicit and launch an investigation with zero evidence that an investigation deserved uh, to be launched. And the one thing we've left out about Flynn is the DOJ dropped the charges because the DOJ agreed at some point in time in 2017. Uh, I'll read it verbatim, but it for the Stanford law. The brief the Justice Department filed in court on Thursday said that Flynn couldn't be convicted of violating 18 U.S.C. 1001 because his misrepresentations to the FBI weren't material. And the reason they weren't material, the brief said, is because the FBI wasn't carrying out a legitimate investigation. There wasn't any basis for suspecting Klin of criminal wrongdoing, and the FBI was not proceeding in good faith. Four words or two words and an acronym that don't belong in the same sentence. The FBI in good faith. I mean, they just don't (laughs) belong in the same sentence. And that's a sad day in America. And stop with the moral equivalencies. I mean, stop trying to say, well, Manafort did this. And the Mueller investigation found out that. But I've gone back and looked at the charges. I mean, it has very little to do with Russia collusion. There is a single charge against Manafort that he shared Trump campaign polling data with a business associate with Russian ties. I mean that that's the charging document that the others are submitting false statements in support of residential mortgage loans two counts of bank fraud five counts of tax fraud one count of failing to disclose an offshore bank account stop with that juvenile nonsense back in a minute 843 our number couple of callers kind enough to hold on during the break let's go there charles in lamar good morning charles
4: Good morning. It's actually Charles in Sardinia this morning. I'm on the way to King Street. Okay. Um, every time Reggie comes on the radio, my wife asks me, you know, is your portfolio uh, the way it's supposed to be, diversified, or are you all set up? I just try to explain to her that I don't have any investments, no life insurance, no bank account, and I don't own my house, because when I die, I want it to be a sad day for everybody. <laughs>
0: um, Sound like my dad. <laughs> yeah.
4: I, I posted something on Facebook last night. Y'all saw it. I uh, said, if you ask 50 random people at Magnolia Mall, hey, what do you think about that Durham report? 45 would respond with, what? Um, I was chastised on there because people were telling me that number's probably closer to 49. And that's really the problem that we have in this country. And you call them the Seinfeld watchers. They're not keeping up with what's going on in the world. And I I would say that 49 out of 50 number is a real close number. 49 out of 50 people, or about 98% of the people that you run into at random, have no idea what the, um, Durham report is. They don't They don't know. They never heard of it. They don't know anything about it. Now, maybe instead of Magnolia Mall, I should have used Costco or Sam's or somewhere where you would have a different level of, of customer. But that's a scary thing. And we've got to try to figure out a way to get the media in this country to report the news instead of hiding the news uh, from people. If you want to get a good. And I hate to sound like Dave and bounce all around, but I got a couple of things this morning. If you want to get a good laugh, get you a copy of yesterday's Darlington County News and Press and read the letter to the editor. If there was ever anybody who is Seinfeld watching and has not one damn clue about what they write a letter about, that's fun. So read that and uh, take a look at it. And, and Ken and Dave, there's a rumor that the president um, today is going to apologize to the Japanese for the United States dropping atomic bombs on Hiroshima and Nagasaki to end World War II. And I'm just here to say, if he does that, America will be a whole lot better off because he will have 0.0 chance of being reelected if he does something like that. They're never going to apologize for Pearl Harbor. There is absolutely no reason for us to apologize for those atomic bombs. That was war, and it was done in an effort to save lives in the long run. So... uh, Um, I'll step down off my soapbox now and enjoy the rest of my trip to King Street. Y'all have a great day. Thank you, Charles. Appreciate the
0: call. You touched on a lot of points. There's a story out now. My son was telling me about this, uh, my oldest kid, and I can't think of the name of the star, but a star had a medical event, and he survived. And the reason he was in New York City, And the reason, I'm trying to think of his name. I mean, maybe my kid's listening, and sometimes he'll listen, and sometimes he doesn't, and he'll text me here in a second, or I'll text him and ask him who it was. But there's a big celebrity that had some medical event and survived the medical event because he died, excuse me, he had the medical event on the same night the Seinfeld finale came on. And there were so many people in New York City at home watching Seinfeld that the traffic was 30%. Of what it normally is. That's the that that's the reference point that I use. These people watching Seinfeld, they know everything there is to know about Jerry and George and Elaine and Kramer, but they know nothing about the Durham Report. They know nothing. They know very little about Hiroshima and Nagasaki. I mean, I guess they know from well. I mean, maybe they teach them in school that now. Maybe. I don't know. I mean, that's where I learned it. You know, in our, in world history and and the tenth grade or whenever it was, we uh, you know began delving into those sorts of worldly affairs that. Most Americans need to be somewhat aware of, but, but it, it just affirmed my suspicion. And I can't think of the name of the star, but it was some big movie star who had some big medical situation and they believe the reason this person survived, they were able to get them to a, to a hospital in New York city in a third of the time, because it was on the night that the finale of Seinfeld was on and it's kind of New York centric. And New Yorkers, you know what I mean. By a high percentage, I guess, watch something that is um, about their city. And I just okay that that affirms my suspicion, or, or it, it it basically it 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 legitimizes why I say, or validates why I say the Seinfeld watcher. And I'll tell you guys, yesterday I find this interesting because I do believe to Charles this point, and, and to a lot of things I talk about, I do believe that you've got to go meet the voters where they are. I'm going to talk to Drew McKissick a little bit at 805 about that this morning. What are the Republicans trying? I'm not saying forsake your values. I'm not saying sell your soul. I am saying win elections. And I think messaging is a big part of that. The messenger obviously is a big deal. uh, But messaging is a big deal. And Vivek Ramaswamy seems to be willing to go meet the voters where they are. I mean, he says these very provocative things. Let's abolish the FBI. Whoa, dude. I mean, nobody's talking about abolishing the FBI. But, but all of a sudden, somebody Josh's age says, I've never heard a Republican say anything like that. <laughs> I mean, the, the Republicans were the ones that tried to stop Woodstock. I mean, the, the Republicans are the one who tried to burn the books and abolish Bob Dylan. And uh, you know what? You see where I'm headed? And, and I, I do believe. I mean, I don't think Charles needs to let go of what he believes in. I know I can't let go of what I believe in. I'm not selling out. But but I do think we have to craft a message that is inviting, engaging, interesting. And I think part of that message has to be reaching out to people where they are. And I think Vivek Ramaswamy, in other words, historically, I've been told as a Republican candidate, you know, why spend a lot of time in the black community? I mean, you're going to get 8% of the vote whether you suck as a candidate or, or a generational candidate. I mean, that's kind of the way it is. But, but once again, the nation's becoming less white. You've go, you, We're going to have to outreach into African-American communities, have to outreach into uh, Hispanic communities. Uh, the, um, the educated we, uh, female voter. I mean, we, we, we categorize all of these voters. That is true. I mean, there's data that shows, you know, that Trump struggled with educated female voters in suburban locales. I mean, that there's no question about that. And I believe the Republican Party, I think our message wins. But but do do we have the right messengers? Are we articulating the message in an understandable fashion? And, and I think we all have to get over the fact that everybody doesn't see the world as I do. I mean, as much as I believe that if people would follow me, we'd live in a better America, that's just unrealistic. That's not going to happen. And I think Vivek Ramaswamy is so interesting to me because... He says, without saying it, he doesn't say this, but, Reb, he infers this. Hey, you may not come to me, but I'll come to you. And I'll come to the south side of Chicago. And I'll talk about racial issues. I'll talk about abortions. I'll talk about single parenthood. He, he went on Chuck Todd. He yeah. went on CNN. He, he he meets the voters where they are. It's not good enough, guys, to go on Fox News every night or to go on the Sean Hannity show every afternoon. I mean that that's the same. I mean you're speaking. To, I mean you're, you're basically speaking to your people. We got to grow and, the universe. And he's doing
1: that too. Of, well, course. I mean, of course he and he's got to do that. He's calling this. Show. I mean you
0: can't you know you can't lose sight of your base. I mean you got to be loyal to your base for your base to be loyal to you. But but as we get less conservative, as we get less white, I mean let's be honest. I mean there's a racial reality here. I mean the majority of white people vote Republican. The overwhelming majority of African Americans vote Democrat. I think Hispanics are up for grabs, but, but I do believe part of what we're doing, we, we got to go find the Seinfeld watcher and we got to articulate a believable, inspiring message uh, about why our party will provide them a better opportunity at a brighter future than the other party. And I would start it like this, you know, very few are interested in government. Most don't care much for government, but it's going to be a part of your life forever, I mean, it's going to be a big part of your life forever. My father-in-law just passed away. Guess what we waited on? The probate court. You know what I mean? The, the legal system to play itself out. So so I, I just think there's a compelling message to make. And, and that's what I like about Ramaswamy. He's not saying, hey, I'll sit here and wait on you. You know, you'll turn into Fox News one day. You'll come to your senses one day, you young buck. No, he says, hey, I'm going to find these people and, and, and try to offer an inspiring, articulate message about a better future and a brighter tomorrow. Let's go to the phone. Here's Breeze. Good morning. You know,
5: uh, if you'd asked these a, a real a true about a fascist, not the Democrats you have today, in nineteen sixty eight about abolishing the FBI David All part You know, uh, but um anyway, you know, I remember vividly uh um, calling you up. But the um, gold, steel dossier thing came out, and I said it was probably Hillary Clinton. It was probably the Democrats. But one thing I left out was, at the time, I didn't realize how bad the Republicans were. I wonder how many Republicans had something to do with that. And then going back to the biggest problem, now Trump is not very likable, in my opinion. But I can see where people don't like him. But there were not many people standing with him. We never really stand together, and I guess that's human nature. I mean, you know, I've had things happen to me, and you kind of find out who your real friends are and stuff like that. And I've got a lot of faults. Loyalty isn't really one of them. But I remember, you know, when your thing was going on, and all and I remember something, somebody telling me about it. And I said, well, you know, that boy's always been a pretty good boy. I don't know. Uh, I don't. I, you, you know, I. I wonder, you, you remember when your
0: thing was going on? Did you really find out who your buddies were? No we question. Say, yeah. No no doubt you know, about and it. I,
5: and people that used to kinda of kiss your butt when you were a Lieutenant Governor all of a sudden didn't feel like they had much of a need to say, Hey Ken, how you doing? You know what I mean? And and I think the problem is is we kinda you know, we kinda just sit there and say, Well that's his problem and that's, and I'm not gonna uh, rally behind him, you know, and uh and I think on the local level we have a lot of that kind of thing going on. Well that's that's not my problem, that's his problem. I I don't want to get involved. I don't want to get involved, and that's why we never get anything done. I mean, you know, when uh, when the Democrats were sitting there telling um, all of their uh, legions of fascist, godless followers to go basically attack anybody in the Trump administration, they did it. But you know, we aren't sitting there on the um, out in front of the FBI director's house calling him a crook. We aren't out there. Telling every news organization, every time you see a reporter from CNBC telling them that you're a stooge for the government, you know, I, you know, I mean, we just sit back and, of course, people don't want confrontation, but we're not willing to go call these people out. if that half the we're polite to them. You know, I mean, our mayor here and a lot of these other local bureaucrats here, you know, uh, they don't want to see me face to face because I'm not going to sit there. And shake their head and tell them what a great job they're doing. You know, our mayor here was a son of I He didn't come to me for support because he knew how I felt about the way he shut down this place. And, you know, and right now I see the school district one wants more tax dollars. Well, they should have saved a hell of a lot of money because they didn't do nothing for years, did they? You know, they shut everything down, masked up all our kids, wanted to force all kinds of vaccinations from everybody. I said, you know, If we don't stand up on a local level for our friends and family and the people that can't defend themselves, a lot of people don't have a voice on the radio. A lot of people don't have um, the guts to call in. A lot of people don't know people. And we got people getting screwed over by our government, getting screwed over by the media, screwed over by the Justice Department. Every single day, we just sit back and don't do a damn thing about it. And we just let our friends fight it alone.
0: Thank you, Breeze. Well, I mean, we've decided, we'll take our break, Josh. We've decided that winning um, some of these debates, some of these intellectual debates, uh, you know, proving how crazy liberalism is I about mean, reparations. I was thinking about that this morning, riding over, hearing some talk about, you know, what California's thinking about doing with reparations. I've got this weird theory, and I think Rujan talks a lot about this in the transatlantic slave trade. The African Americans sold African Americans. I mean, the blacks sold blacks into slave into slavery. I'll use a weird analogy here because I thought about it. I said, oh, no, this. i know not should should say that. Um, is it better or worse to buy or sell drugs? I mean, if you're if you're buying human beings, are you doing worse by God than those selling human beings? If you're buying drugs, I mean, I'm using that as analogy. Who's worse, the person buying the drugs? Or the person selling the drugs. Let, let's go to slave trade because the reparations are based on the you know—the transatlantic slave trade. Who, who's worse, the white Anglo Saxons buying African American slaves, or the blacks selling their own people into slave trade? that, why, why can't we have that discussion? I'm not afraid to. 843-661-0937, Back in a few. It was Frank Sinatra couple of people text me during the break it's frank sinatra oh, okay who is um the benefit uh the uh, he benefited from um not much traffic on the road in new york city and able to get to the hospital a lot quicker than he normally would have because everybody's watching seinfeld <laughs> as i've said instead of keeping up with things like a corrupt um, fbi i told rev i was reading the national review this morning and i'm always interested in trying to learn more um <laughs> i'm not I mean, I, I am pretty arrogant, but I'm not arrogant enough to know that, you know, they're still. Didn't, you need to have a burning desire to learn and to better understand. And, um, you know, yesterday, I guess the busy head syndrome makes it natural for me to kind of travel those roads. But yesterday when we heard so much about, not from just Jeff, I don't want to single Jeff out, that's unfair, but, um, you know, some of the media were talking about Manafort and Flynn. And I said, okay, I'm, I mean, I, I've listened to what the media said, but I want to go back and look at the formal charges. And the majority of charges had nothing to do with Russia. I mean, they really and truly did. I mean, there's a single charge against Flynn where he um, it might have been Manafort. Yeah, Manafort um, shared the polling data with a Russian agent, um, so to speak, shared Trump campaign polling data with a business associate with Russian um, ties. Now, now, the NPR article is kind of interesting. I want to read this verbatim uh, because NPR is, you know, it's it's government state-run media that calls it as they see it no bias at all and what npr uh, reports nobody <laughs> listens but you know anyway uh, in january manifest defense but, but attorneys sounds nice and calm when you yeah, say it there, there you are. in january manifest defense attorneys accidentally unsealed court documents that revealed he had shared trump campaign polling data with a business associate with russia ties the revelation could support possible collusion between the trump campaign and russia the issue at the center of Mueller's special counsel investigation but Manafort's trials so far have offered a definitive have not offered a definitive answer to questions about collusion, including what happened at the 2016 Trump Tower meeting with a Russian lawyer, promising damaging uh, information on Hillary Clinton. Um, so, so even in even in March of 2019, NPR still pushing the narrative of Trump collusion and can can the Mueller report bring uh, the Trump presidency to its knees? And, um, and, and in all honesty, the biggest trouble Flynn and Manafort had was lying to the FBI. I mean, if that didn't reach as the Durham report drops and we find out the FBI was the biggest liars of all, I mean, they corrupted the election by, and I don't think they took debate and they're ruining people's lives for lying to to be sure they they ruined Flynn's life. Uh, you know, Manafort, I mean, I, I'm not saying I defend Manafort, uh, submitting false statements in support of residential mortgage loans, two counts of bank fraud, five counts of tax fraud, one count of failing to disclose an offshore uh, bank account. Um, a lot of that was consulting work he did for you know, some of these pro-Russia political organizations that were negotiating deals in in Ukraine. But when it came to the um, some of the other charges relating um, to Manafort's work for the Trump campaign – the jury was was deadlocked. So stop believing the narrative of Manafort, Mueller, uh, Flynn, and the FBI. They're not anywhere remotely near um, the same. The FBI is corrupt. Period. Now, should we abolish? I don't know. Should we fire? You know, half the people that work at the FBI. I don't know the answer to that. But but the the media narrative of well, you know, this is complicated. I mean, this has, uh, you know, uh, it's Trump and it's Kislev and it's Manafort and it's, um, uh, what's his name, Andrade, no, nah, Papadopoulos, and it's Danchenko. And, I mean, once they found out Danchenko, I mean, it's in the report. Once Danchenko was known to be lying, they offered him money to shut up, offered him a million bucks, as hush money, basically. Uh, Rev asked me, where does that money come from? It's the government. I mean, they just find it. It's under this rock or or under that rock. But I want to go back to we were talking about Fetterman and Feinstein and um, and Biden. The National Review did something that you would not expect the National Review to do. They did an article on a party and cognitive decline. I mean, the National Review doesn't do that. But I mean, they're above the fray. You know what I mean? That they're 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 high minded. Um, But the truth. What well, I mean, but but you know, they're talking about Fetterman trying to chair or Fetterman tried to ask a question and. I mean, who who in the world knows what he's talking about? I mean, I'm serious. It's like I mean, it's like James Brown and Bob Dylan after six beer each. <laughs> the hell are they saying to one another? No nobody knows. I mean it would be Dylan would say to Brown, <laughs> It's bad you know enough you had to add six you beers to it. Yeah, we're gonna make it And and Brown says, Ow. And then Dylan says, I'm damn ring, man. And Brown's, ow, again. I mean, <laughs> that's what Fetterman sounds like. I mean, who in the hell knows what he's saying? But medical doctors in Pennsylvania said the guy's fine. I mean, there's nothing to see here. But anyway, and then it talked about Biden. And, um, you know, but you talk about getting older. And a lot of people, I mean, the defenders of Biden say, well, the stuttering, he's stuttering. Look, stuttering has nothing to do with shaking hands with people that aren't there and an Easter bunny leading you around. <laughs> The grounds of the White House. Remember the Easter Bunny? Was oh, like, no, yeah. no, Joe here. No, not over there. Not over there. I mean, it's kind of interesting. So, uh, I, I'm i arguing the Secret Service disguised an agent as an Easter Bunny so they could make sure Joe Biden didn't, you know, get, get lost in the fray uh, or shuffle. So it's not stuttering. Stop with that nonsense. Somebody's I mean, always stuttered a bit, but I mean, most people who try to talk fast, <laughs> I do. And in politics, you got to get your, you know, you got to get your words in when given an opportunity, but it's not stuttering. I mean, it's shaking hands with people who aren't there. I mean, it's kind of hanging out with the Easter Bunny and him being your guiding force to get you from one, uh, I, I guess, one child to another. And, and then you've got Diane Feinstein, who is... I mean, that, that that's elder abuse. I mean, whomever is her caregiver and whomever makes her... She's not making her own decisions. I mean, there is no way in this world. Uh, I mean, she is a... Hey, I mean, she's not a woman in cognitive decline. She is a woman who has no idea where she is or what she's doing. But they rolled her in because they needed a few judges, you know, voted in. And I get it. I mean, you do what you got to do to win some of these political battles. But uh, but in the in the debate about um, cognitive decline, talking about Fetterman, and, and Fetterman's a sad case because he's a sick man. I mean, he's had an issue. It's medical. It's he had a stroke, and and the doctor. I mean, they paid some doctor to say he'd be okay and he'd recover in no time and be back to full functioning as a US senator and he's not but he doesn't know what to, I mean he, he the 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 only thing a senator has to do is speak and listen they have to have the ability to coherently speak and listen and understand and 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 with some degree of complexity some of these issues he can't do that he can't communicate um intelligible he can't listen I mean he can't understand what it is when you speak to him I mean, he's got a he's got a, you know, a medical issue. He had a pretty significant stroke and he's not gotten a lot better. I mean, I would imagine he's gotten a little better, but he hadn't gotten a lot better. So you've got Biden shaking hands with people who don't exist and kind of letting the Easter egg lead him around. And the media says, well, Biden does stutter. I mean, he's always stutter. Nothing to see here. And then Fetterman, the doctors in Pennsylvania say he's fine, I mean, there's nothing to see here. And then he tries to ask a question, and everybody says, what are James Brown and Bob Dylan talking about over there? (laughs) Nobody understands anything that he says. And then you've got Feinstein, who is, I mean, just out of it. I mean, just completely and totally. She's like 91 or 2 years old, and she has no business making decisions on behalf of the American government. But it led to a word that i never heard of, malapropisms, propisms, M-A-L-A-P-R-O-P-I-S-M-S. and it's it's words that I mean they're perfectly I mean they're 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 words that we use they're words we should use but we shouldn't use them in these sentences and and it led me to a when I googled the word uh, and I don't know if I'm pronouncing it right malapropisms uh, it, it's you know and it, it led me to an article that we t- we've tried to discuss this that um we are talking about Seinfeld Seinfeld's is the greatest sitcom ever. Archie Bunker is the greatest sitcom character of all time, period. I mean, it, you know, it, 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 but but anyway, I found an article, The Archie Bunker Malapropism Dictionary of Mangled English, and we could do an entire show. I mean, the list, season one. It's just it's just season one, and the way Archie— I mean, Archie would make your perfect Democrat today. I mean, with, with the way he abuses the the language, I mean, he, he would fit in and write with— I mean, in other words— if Archie Bunker were still alive uh, and if he were real we could send Archie to see um Biden and to, to to basically interpret what it is Biden's trying to say and then we could send him to see Fetterman and interpret whatever it is uh Fetterman's trying to say I don't know that Bunker could even understand what Feinstein is uh is trying to say Eight four three let's go to the phone Sam and Cross Hill good morning you're on the air
6: Oh, good morning. Ken, you are all over the place. Uh, every time you, uh, we come out, you come out of a segment, you jump right on to something else that uh, I, I want to talk about. So bear with me for just a few minutes. Uh, I'll begin by saying, and I've always heard that there are three types of people. There are people that watch things happen, there are people that make things happen, and there are people that wonder what happened. And I'm afraid we're a country of people that uh, perhaps uh, one of these days are really going to wonder what happened and it's their own fault. Charles, that was a very interesting uh, statistic that he, that he gave or his comment. Mm -hmm. And I firmly agree with that. Uh, um, If you ever watch Jesse water, send Johnny out to interview different people about issues of the day. Some of the questions, the answers that they give are absolutely astounding. And um, speaking about Fetterman uh, last night, Brett Berry had Brett Hume uh, on and um, the, evidently, there was a reporter that actually cleared, tried to clear up what interpret and clear up what uh, Fetterman had said, and posted it, and uh, then got so much backlash that he, he had to take it down. And uh, uh, Brett had to correct Brett and let him know that the reporter had taken taken it down. And he said that's a good thing. Um, I'm also glad you brought up the issue about um um with about Jeff and um. Uh, and I had that exact thought. I thought, well, that's not really, I really didn't get these guys on, on Trump-related kinds of things. That, that was, and I'm glad you did the research and shared that with us. And finally, um, last night I was, I was watching, I guess it must have been Hannity or one of them. But anyway, they had they were talking about reparations of all things, and now the movement is coming national. You know, it's outstate in California, but now the squad, some of the squad's hitched onto that. And there was a uh, a black man that was speaking about reparations, nationwide reparations. And I noticed that standing behind him was a bunch of black ministers, preachers, female, male ministers, because they had their uh, pastoral uh, 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 tie around their necks or they had a they, rows, whatever. So I think the way to the, the black community is not necessarily going into the black neighborhoods, But I think it it would fare a politician well to try to gather up a group of black ministers also and talk with them and hear from them. And that's where I think the conversion perhaps uh, could happen and also make some progress there, because these folks are the ones that really carry the weight uh, in those communities. So anyway, that's a lot of stuff. But when you got you, you got my I got busy brain this morning, too. And enjoying the show, as always. Good deal. I'll
0: step Thank you, Sam. Appreciate it. 843-661-0937. Let's take a break. we got another call. We'll get there on the other side. So I want to go, go back to is that the forest of ignorance or the jungle of ignorance. I want to make sure we're not uh, Archie Bunker here and we're, we're not trafficking in malapropisms. Mm-hmm. Can somebody settle that for me? I'm not academic. I'm not scholarly. I'm a good old boy. You know that. I mean I take great liberties with the Queen's English, but are we are we trafficking in malapropisms when we say the jungle of ignorance instead of the the forest of ignorance? I'll give an example of a malapropism and Archie Bunker. Okay. So so Meathead does not stand up during the national anthem. And Bunker's watching the Yankees play on baseball or on on the you know, the big three thousand pound television with the ten inch screen. Remember those? Oh yeah. Um so so bunker challenges his patriotism and meathead in typical fashion says something derogatory about the country to which bunker says don't you ever say anything suppository about this country when you're in <laughs> when you're in my house that is a malapropism I it's an actual make word sure, but it's so it's a perfect word yeah. it's a great word it's a, it's a very meaningful word it just doesn't belong in that sentence, and and I'm wondering if we aren't trafficking because we like to be yes, grammatically correct yet here. somehow you know what he meant, though. Yeah, that's, you, that's you know part exactly. The... You know exactly what he meant. So, is it the jungle of ignorance or is it the forest of ignorance? Uh, you know, that's a great question. I don't know, and it's kind of up to you. I mean, it's your saying right? Well, I mean, no, no, in I mean, a way, you can't. I mean, I, I got a lot of sayings, right? I mean, you know that. I mean, yeah. I, I say things a lot of different, a variety of ways, some uh, more colorful. Than others, and that's why I'm nervous about broadcasting. You want to do the kind of a uh, video presentation of the radio show, mm-hmm. and I'm nervous about some of the uh, some of the breaks we take because I take care of <laughs> some business during the breaks in good old boy fashion. But Josh wants to say something. I was
3: going to say I think it's the jungle of ignorance because it's a lot easier to get lost in a
0: jungle. Okay, Th- there's See? a good explanation. Yeah. I ain't buying it. But, but, that, <laughs> but that's a good that's a good explanation. Maybe we can get the SCGOP chairman to declare an official decision and the co-chair of the national party drew mckissick is with us as he always is but well, not always, but most always on Thursday mornings. So, Drew, are we trafficking in malapropisms <laughs> when we say the jungle of ignorance instead yeah, of the of ignorance? That's a question Drew didn't think he was going to get today. <laughs>
7: uh, but, well, you know, in the, in the words of uh, Guns and Roses, welcome to the jungle.
0: <laughs> <laughs> there you go. There you go. See? Um, Rev, the, the one thing you got to remember, see, a, a politician, and Drew's a politician, whether he likes to admit it or not, Um <laughs> they are never at a loss for words. I mean, you know, right. if you can't if you can't, you know, impress them with brilliance, then confuse them with with BS and we're all guilty of that to some degree. So, so Drew, I've spent and I want to get serious for a second. I don't want to ever do that, but I want to get serious here for a sure. second and and I want to talk about, you know, the, the presidential campaign and the percentage of Republican voters who want to move on from Trump. They respect Trump they like what he did for the party. They know they need some of the Trump supporters to hang around. But they kind of, I mean, and I, and I get it. I mean, I, I fall in that camp at times. They kind of believe we're all better off if we thank him for everything he's done, but move on to somewhere else from here. But then, damn it, the Durham report drops. And, and it makes you feel sympathetic for the guy. And it makes you kind of say, well, I mean, I, I'm moving on one day, but not to now. I kind of owe him that support. I mean, is that a reality in, in the GOP today? Yeah, I, th- I think there's a percentage of that, no doubt about it. I mean, you've got
7: folks, uh, you know, on the one hand, and I think it's a small segment of the party that, you know, never uh, were on board with a lot of the issues uh, that he began to talk about in 15 and 16, which, you know, elevated him and, in my opinion, helped grow the party. But you've got some small segment that were never – Comfortable with those issues or those issue positions—a is better way to put it—and then you've got another segment where you know, say, politics revolves for them in a greater measure around personality and around style. Uh, you know, some who like the issues don't like the style or don't like this particular tweet or you know whatever. And that's just not just you know relevant to former President Trump, but also to you know other politicians. Uh, and you know, but I, I think there's something to the fact that you know whenever uh, things like the durham report come out and it just goes back to underline you know what a lot of folks in the party and what uh, uh you know former president trump himself said at the time uh was true that you know hey well this was all just a you know crock of bull i mean so uh it it, it definitely lends itself in that direction no doubt about it uh and remember you know nomination contest uh, for presidential nomination anyway, are, they are state-by-state contests uh, for the nomination, as well as state-by-state contests, you know, the general election. We have the electoral college, but relevant to the primaries, you know, you have state-by-state contests where these different states have different rules. Uh, and a little over, I think maybe it's 26 of them, 27, I forget the exact number, uh, where delegates are elected uh, in winner-take-all fashion or something close to it versus those that are proportional or some, something close to that. Uh, and that lends itself to uh, candidates with uh, a high floor of support. Uh, and the more that the pie, if you will, gets divvied up between other candidates, you know, the better off for that candidate. Uh, contests are proportional, then it's a little bit different. Uh, you know, so, and you have people, I think, who recognize that. And they begin to rally around uh, candidates that they think uh, can draw the highest floor uh, that they see as probably being likely to be the nominee. I think you're seeing a good bit of that now. But, you know, you got a long way to go between now and when all this gets settled. We've got probably 10 debates, I believe, total, that are going to be on tap before we even get to, uh, uh, let's say, you know, mid-spring of next year. Uh, and those issues will be debated and talked about. And I'm sure things like the Durham report you know, will be talked about, and you know, people will rightfully point to it and say, see, we were right. You know, we, were, we were being screwed over by the government, uh, and, and they
0: were right. Uh, so those things are definitely going to be in the mix, no doubt about it. But, Drew, and, and this is where I get frustrated, because I want to fight. I mean, my nature is to fight. My nature is to you know, not, not let you just beat me to smithereens, but rather me. Um, combat your attack. But but uh, we, we talked to a lot of people over the last couple of days who listen to the show, some like Trump, some don't like Trump, but but they're, they're beginning to realize that not only does liberal America control the media, I mean, liberal America is, is beginning to have a larger voice in corporate America. Uh, and now the mm-hmm. FBI seems to be uh, of the mindset yep. treating one candidate from one party is okay than treating another candidate from another party. In other words, um, it, it, it's, 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 I don't want to say that the system is sick, but the system does seem to be unbelievably mm-hmm. one-sided. People see that yes. they believe that they realize yes. that, but they don't know what to do about it, Drew. Right. And look, and it is, it is a problem and it is a symptom
7: of the bigger problem of the size that we have let our government grow. So setting aside corporate America and you know, media and everything else for a minute, we'll just talk about government. Yeah. You know, you've served in government, you know, uh, you've seen it up close. You know, we've got elected branches and we've got, you know, we elected the chief executive. So on state level, we elect the governor. Federal level, we elect the president. Uh, we've got legislation. Uh, we've got the courts. You know, and there's supposed to be a balance of power, separation of powers between them all, et cetera. Well, what we've got, though, that is not in our Constitution now is essentially a permanent bureaucracy, in many cases at the federal level, which exercises, as you know, legislative power. And there's a big argument about that going on now uh, within you know, conservative circles in terms of try- how to turn that back to use the judiciary, the power of the judiciary, specifically the Supreme Court, to turn that back. But the point is the bureaucracy, unelected bureaucrats have, uh, who, in many cases, cannot be fired. You know, and they're technically part of the executive branch. You know, but the new president comes in. There's a huge number of people that he can't hire or fire. So when it comes to trying to get his policies, his 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 ideas. Uh, uh, you know, put into um, you know policy, uh, to have those things carried out by, by administrative agencies. It's incredibly frustrating. Uh, and that was a big problem on the front end of the Trump administration in terms of uh, populating the government with you know enough people, even the, even the positions that could be filled by the president to begin with, took a long time to get filled. Not to mention the thousands of others that should be able to be filled, by a president because they do impact policy. Uh, And that then lends itself to people who just get dug in like bull weevils inside the government, and they ain't going nowhere. presidents come and go, they stay. And they have effectively become a fourth branch of government, and that is a problem for the country.
0: Let's shift gears and go to someone we had on the show yesterday, and I don't want to get an endorsement or a a non-endorsement. I want to get your take on on a notion that I have. Um, One of the guys that I think has made a splash is Vivek Ramaswamy. Um, I don't mm-hmm. think he'll be the nominee, but, but I do think he's added something to the campaign trail that Republicans mm-hmm. desperately needed. He's interesting. He's provocative. Mm-hmm. It seems to yeah. me, Drew, that he's more willing to not wait on the voter to come to us, but rather go to the voter. Or places that we've historically struggled. I'm talking about African-American communities. Yeah. I'm talking about things that we historically have yeah. not been real crazy about talking about. He seems to be doing something that that historically we've been told, be careful in doing it. What do you make of that? Am I, am I on point with his strategy? And what what do you make of it?
7: Uh, I believe you're right. Uh, And that's the reason why a lot of people are paying attention to it Uh, because, you know, issues and ideas can motivate people. Uh, And he's talking about issues and he's talking about ideas that, as you point out, typically haven't been talked about. But as those of us who are in the conservative movement might, you know, sit, you know, alone by ourselves and think about some of this stuff, uh, you know, would like to see those things talked about. But sometimes we, we, as you point out, notice that, you know, a lot of folks don't want to go in that direction. Uh, I mean, it's I, I, ideas, again, they, they move people. And that's when you get to a presidential nomination contest, you have a lot of people who will run, obviously. Uh, and, and I'm not saying this to be reflective of any candidates that are running. Don't get me wrong. But you have people who will run because they want to get ideas into the process, not necessarily because they think they that they can win. And I'm not saying this about him specifically right now. Um, you know, you've seen this in the past. You know, candidates who they want to put you know their issue. Think, say, for instance, maybe Steve Forbes back with the fair tax idea when he ran several cycles back. You know, I don't know if he necessarily thought he could win, but he could get the idea out there. Um, you know, things like that. Sometimes you'll have candidates who will do that. Sometimes you'll have candidates who are essentially audi- auditioning for, you know, a potential VP spot or a cabinet spot. Uh, and I don't say that to diminish anybody. But in his case, though, he is bringing forward issues and, and ideas that people care about. Issues motivate people. People will give money because of issues. People will support candidates because of issues, knock on doors because of issues. And Lee Atwater used to say, issues win campaigns. And he's right. Uh, and that goes back to the example I pointed out, you know, we talked about multiple times, you know, back in 15 and 16, when f- former President Trump ran, began talking about issues like globalism, trade uh, and immigration. And then all the things that come off of the tangential issues that, that, that uh, come off from, from those core issues, uh, they motivated people. Uh, so in, in that
0: sense, he's doing exactly what he needs to do, and he's getting attention because of it. You mentioned Steve Forbes. Last question. Drew McKissick, SC, GOP chairman and co-chair of the National Party is with us this morning you you mentioned um steve forbes and the flat tax kind of an interesting uh, idea it it did resonate with a large percentage of the american electorate there's a group out there now called no labels and there's some reporting that joe manchin is being courted by no labels to be a presidential candidate as a third party i mean i'd argue once justice announces he's running in west virginia i mean that's that's a republican leaning state so Manchin's probably yep. looking for some way to not get beat in a Senate race. Um, and I'm not asking if Manchin's a good candidate or not. But, but what yeah. responsibility do you have to the Republican Party as a national co-chair to pay attention, mm-hmm. monitor, be aware of what No Labels is trying to do? And, 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 sure. and, and how do you defend against that?
7: We did. Well, number one, yes, we are mindful of it and we are tracking it and following it. And, you know, the first thing, though, that any candidate, uh, any party has to be able to do is to get access to the ballot. You know, so it's one thing to say you're running for president. Another thing is to answer the question is, can you get on the ballot in your state? You can win that state, potentially win electoral votes. Uh, that's the first challenge that any third party has. You know, if you remember back in the Ross Perot days, that was a big thing that he had to you know, put big dollars behind or organize nationally within some states, and you have to get X number of signatures and so forth to be able to get a line on the ballot and then to be able to officially nominate a candidate in accordance with different state election laws. And you got 50 different states, 50 different sets of laws. So this is a challenge for them, uh, but I suspect you're right uh, that Manchin knows there's no way on God's green earth he's going to beat Jim Justice in a race for the U.S. Senate in a state that Donald Trump carried by over 30 percentage points in, in 2020. Uh, and he's looking for something else productive to do.
0: So, I mean, explain if you don't mind what they have to do to get on the ballot. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it, it is is it somebody's yeah. signatures in somebody's states? I mean, but because I've read where they're 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 doing a little better than most third party. I mean, there's no way a third party candidate. You mentioned Perot. Perot gets 19 percent of the vote, mm-hmm. zero electoral votes. I mean, he had absolutely got shut out when it came to that. But but do you think this is a more se- here's a fair question Do you think no labels is a more serious effort at a third party candidate than we've historically seen? Yeah,
7: you know, no, in the sense that you know P- Americans are generally dualist. It usually comes down to an A B proposition, uh, and to be successful in their sense, they've got to cut into somebody's base somewhere numerically. Now, in terms of the issues of getting on the ballot, you know, satisfying uh, ballot access laws, you know, there's a good chance that they'll probably be able to get on the ballot in most states. I don't know if it'll be all of them, but, you know, but hey, we've got parties like the, you know, Libertarian Party, Populist Party, or the Conservative Party, the Constitution Party, you know, American Party. You know, we see these all the time on our ballot voting for various other races. uh, And, there's a good chance that they may be able to get on the ballot in most places. And like I said, it does come, it's different in different states. It comes down to signatures in most places, and that's a big campaign they have to organize statewide and pay for and so forth. Uh, but you know, it's one thing to be on the ballot. It's another thing to be able to convince people to vote for you. And then who is losing voters when you pick up those voters? And that's the real thing. What issues are they going to talk about and who are they going to take from Uh, And, you know, if we talk about the issues that are relevant to people, we'll win the campaign, in my opinion. That's our job.
0: Very well explained. Drew, thank you for your time. As usual, very informative. Drew McKissick, SCGOP chairman and co-chair of the National Republican Party. Thank you, sir. Thank you. We'll take a break. We'll be back in just a few moments. No, we're not. We're not cleaning the windshield. (laughs) We're not checking under the hood. We're running our mouth as we do every single day. Stop overstating what we do here. We run our mouths. We don't check the windshield. We don't look under the hood. We run our mouths sometimes about things we know about, but most times things we don't. Mm -hmm. Let's go to the phone. Someone's there, and then we'll get to Mike Nunn, Florence County Sheriff's Office. Joe and Florence, thank you for holding on. You're on the air.
8: Okay, guys, thanks. Um, I want to tell you a story about immigration, but first I just thought I'd mention that there was a comedian back in the 70s named Norm Crosby. And he made a whole career out of using malapropisms for his, his humor. So you might want to look that up uh, to get a little bit more of the Jungle Force thing. <laughs> good uh, the good deal. Thing to, the other thing I want to say real quick is, remember, uh, Dylan and uh, uh, James Brown were geniuses, so let's not carry that Fetterman analogy too far. <laughs> <laughs> and, but the thing I want to tell you is back in the 70s, I went to a, a, a small private school. It was a non-boarding school. It was a private school in a working-class neighborhood. And there were a lot of, you know, kind of second generation uh, European immigrant, American dream type people. There were the French and the Spanish. There were Italians, Germans, Irish, you know, and some, some people from Puerto Rico, some African-Americans. And we we paid $300 to go to the school because all of our parents wanted to focus on education and really give us the best chance to get ahead and be part of the American dream. Well, on Saturday, I enrolled my daughter in the governor's school for math and science in Hartsville. And this is a great opportunity to get kids into a good college. And it cost about $3,000, not 300. But what was so interesting to me is I saw a real similar co- to the collection of people. There were people from Vietnam and Japan and Korea and the Philippines and China. There were people from Ethiopia. There were people from Sudan and Nigeria. Um, a lot of African Americans, a lot of European Americans. But there was such a similarity. These were legal immigrants who were sacrificing to give their chance, to give their kids a chance at the American dream. And some fifty years later, I saw such a similarity between what the legal immigrants come to America for. And I don't know how many of the folks coming over the southern border kind of buy into that and are willing to take that course of action of sacrifice for their kids to get ahead through education as opposed to, you know, dealing in in sex and dealing in drugs. So uh, I don't know if you have a comment or not, but I just wanted to share that 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 thing that I experienced some 50 years later as a as a high school guy, and then as a parent of a high school guy. So thank you all so much.
0: Thank you. Very interesting. I mean, I don't want to be as shallow as to say if you cheat to begin with, it it diminishes your abilities or potential contributions. I think that's unfair. But you are cheating. I mean, you are. When you come to the country in a disorderly and illegal fashion, there's something there. I mean, there's something about somebody who says, I don't care how you can do it. I know the way we're supposed to do it. I mean, there's some connection to uh, doing the right thing. I mean, it's not that simple. I know it's a lot more complicated. And it's, you know, what would you do if, you know, what would you think if, and that's easy for me to speculate. Uh, you got to be careful about having never walked in that man or woman's or woman's shoes. But but I do believe that there there's something about those people who know they could do it uh, the illegal way, but they choose to do it the other way. The commitment they make to do it the right way says a lot about what we can expect them to do after they become a participant in our culture and economy Mike Nunn Florence County Sheriff's Office is with us good morning sir how are you good morning guys so so I want to um I kind of want to rally for a second here I, I want to talk a little bit about um you, you convinced me several years back that we had a violent crime problem. Because when I think violent crime, I think New York, Chicago, some of the metropolitan areas, uh, the places that I'm scared for my daughter to go. I don't want you to go there because, you know, big crimes and drugs and all these other sorts of things. And then another day you talked about heroin. And I can remember that day when I said Mike Nunn's trying to scare people, man. I mean, why would he do that? But but as we progressed or regressed, we realized that indeed that is that is the case to the point that you guys have had to prioritize violent crimes in Florence County, South Carolina.
9: Well, sure. And I remember that day too, we were actually at Schofield's, Mm -hmm. and, Mm um, um, our narcotics agents are really kind of the, the, not the canaries in the, in the coal mine, but they see these things before everybody else. And so they were sending up the, the red flag. Hey, we, we're starting to see a real problem here. We got, we got heroin on an uptick where people are dying as a result of it. And, um, and that was really kind of the, um, the, the, the tip of the iceberg is what we were seeing in the opioid crisis. And uh, so we were trying to get out ahead of that and get the message out to folks that, hey, this is, this is real. And sure enough, it, it was. And, and as we look now, um, you know, over 100,000 uh, Americans will die every year as a result of opioids.
0: And, and crime doesn't go down. When, when, when drugs are prevalent?
9: Well, no, as a matter of fact, they, they fuel the crime. Um, and you can say, well, what's the chicken, what's the egg? But they, they go together um, very closely. And as we know, and I've said here on this show often, uh, the majority of our violent crime and our property crimes uh, are fueled by illegal narcotics, uh, either in the sale, transport, taking, or uh, whatever it takes for folks who are uh, sadly addicted to these things to get enough money to get through the next few hours uh, without getting sick. And so um, that desperation drives folks to do things that maybe they wouldn't otherwise do. Uh, Who knows? But um, the the drug crisis is taking a tremendous toll on our communities, uh, Florence and around the country. Mike, you don't have the luxury that I do to, to just kind of, I mean, you got
0: a job to do. I got a speculation and an opinion I can give, but, but, but to me, there's two kinds of crime. There's some that don't involve guns and then there are crimes that do involve, that's a weird line of demarcation, but, but the ones that don't include a gun, I mean, they upset me. They make me nervous, but they don't scare me to death. What well, when a gun enters the equation, I mean, that, that's a different animal. I mean, is that a fair characterization when a gun is involved, when discharging a firearm? You're talking about shooting up a mobile home
9: here in our
0: community. I mean, is, is, that, is that a fair assessment?
9: Oh, well, yeah, there is just a um, almost, uh, I don't want to say is a tremendous uptick in what we would call gun crime. There's just an uptick in crime, and guns happen to be involved in that process. But there is a recognized nexus, even in the court system, between uh, illegal narcotics and guns. Um, the, the violence that um, is associated with those two things is recognized by the courts, that when, uh, whenever um, uh, law enforcement officers find narcotics, illegal narcotics, it's not unreasonable to, for them to assume that uh, guns will be uh, available in that scenario as well. So, I mean, there's even a judicially recognized nexus between uh, um, guns and illegal narcotics because of the incredible violence that uh, is associated with that, certainly on that, uh, on that level. And what sort of adjustments do you make? I mean, I'm thinking an offensive coordinator to defensive coordinator. It's kind of
0: a chess game played, you know, in a football game. I mean, if, if you notice there are more gun crimes, if the sheriff's department realizes, wow, I mean, gun crimes. It, do you make adjustments uh, as to how you police or, or, or process your, your community and county?
9: Well, you know, our, our deputies are trained to be on the lookout for, um, you know, violent uh, situations, including uh, guns. You know, the the vast majority of uh, gun owners and gun handlers in Florence County and around the country are fine, law-abiding citizens whom you'll never have a problem with. But it's the, those that are associated with that particular activity that uh, rarely hesitate to use those guns uh, in a violent way if it's, it, it suits their purpose. So what is a violent crime task force? Well, um, Sheriff Joy uh, was extremely concerned, still is, about the level of violence that we're seeing in some of our areas uh, of the county. And uh, some of them are in the city of Florence. Some of them are in other areas of of Florence. But uh, the sheriff um, reached out to uh, Chief Heidler, uh, Chief of the Florence Police Department, to put together a a street crimes uh, violent crime task force that can cross jurisdictional lines and can um, come together, use best practices on how to approach um, these areas where the violent crime is occurring. And one of the methods is to, you know, show a a large police presence in those areas. We know that officer presence affects behavior. Um, Just drive down the road and see a highway patrol car coming at you, and your first instinct is to take your foot off the off the accelerator well you know whether you're speeding or not you know that's that the presence of that officer affected your behavior and so that same scenario works in in a lot of these high crime areas now they can't be there all the time and they can't be everywhere but just the knowledge that this is an area that is being focused on by the sheriff's office or the police department hopefully will uh at least cause the violent element to uh alter their uh their times, their locations, and other things. And it's all designed to keep those people in those areas safe, the residents who are innocent.
0: But don't you need buy-in from those people that live in those areas? Don't they have to be tired of the sorts of criminal activity that happens in those areas?
9: Yes. And Ken, I think we're starting to see um, uh, a buy-in from some of the folks in these violence-ridden areas that You know, they're tired of this. They're fed up with their uh, homes being shot up, their vehicles being shot up. They're worried about their kids walking to the bus stop. Um, They're fed up with it. And what we're starting to see is those folks are more willing than they have been to name names and to um, give descriptions of folks. Because a lot of times the folks that are involved in these uh, violent transactions, they know each other. Or, or at least have some association with, with each other. Um, so we're starting to see a little bit of buy-in with that, and it, it's making a lot of difference. Um, so folks in those neighborhoods need to know, you know, they can contact sheriff's office investigators and leave information confidentially. They can call Crime Stoppers and leave information uh, anonymously. And so uh, they can actually even uh, earn a, a cash reward from uh, Crime Stoppers if their information leads to the arrest of someone involved in a crime. So um, hopefully we're starting to see a little bit of a shift, and, and we understand and we uh, th- that sometimes folks are hesitant to uh, to speak out, but we're starting to see that turn a little bit, and it's going to make a big difference if it'll continue. And that's encouraging for all of us. Thank you for all you do. Great to be here, guys. Have a
0: great day. We'll take a break. We'll be back in just a few moments. Eight four three
9: six six one zero
0: nine three seven. So we 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 do the devil's work most days. <laughs> one Thursday a month we do God's work. But we're in divinity now. I mean, we're talking about Gamecock Athletics. Oh, that that is go. true. I mean, I mean th- <laughs> this is the Holy Grail of all topics that we can um that we can touch on. So so Scott Skat, Scott Skat is with us, uh, President of Florence County Gamecock Club. Scat knows. That the easiest layup in his life is to call me or text me and say, "Hey, can I get a few moments on the show to promote a Gamecock event?" Um, now, if you Clemson fans, I, you know, we got we got a lot of important things we're doing. I mean, we we got we got world peace and oh, yeah. the Durham Report, or the FBI, mm-hmm. and Trump, but uh, but Gamecocks go to the. I'm joking around. Charlie Grace uh, actually told me at the gym a couple of days ago how much he misses, you know, coming on the show promoting uh, Prowl and Growl. Is that it? Prowl yeah. and Growl. Yeah but i was like, well, charlie y'all got too big for your britches yeah. and you hired a big outside marketing firm to do it they, so they um, do it differently now i guess so, so good luck with that prowl and growl <laughs> and that one game losing streak that the game cocks in, in football <laughs> but scad is with us today to promote an event welcome home it's kind of um it's, it's a phrase that the university has coined uh about you know, just selling the athletics department scad has been uh and i mean this sincerely one of the um one of the foot soldiers and board members uh, of, um, of trying to help Gamecock athletics be successful and competitive. Uh, and you're here to talk about an event that'll happen in our hometown, Florence, um, sooner than later. Yeah. Good morning. Uh, and thank you for having me, guys. Always a
1: pleasure to be on here. Uh, yeah. This Monday, the 22nd at six o'clock at the Florence Country Club, we've got the Welcome Home Tour coming in. Um, coach Beamer will be there along with the head soccer coach, Tony Onan. And, and uh, we have, uh, it's a, we're limited to 250 tickets and right now there's about 50 tickets left wow uh and normally uh they don't sell out it's normally last minute kind of deal we're not selling at the door they're available at mickey finn's both mickey finn's locations or through a Florence county uh game club board member so get out and get your tickets so you can participate should be a really good event uh coach beamer is always a pleasure to listen to Um, a lot of momentum going on right now and uh should be a lot of fun um we'll have heavy hors d'oeuvres cash bar and uh, we'll have silent auction going on, a lot of good stuff, uh, you know, 2001 pregame uh, field passes, uh, low suites uh, 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 for, for uh, auction as well, autographed footballs, and so forth and so on. So should be a good event. Actually, it's um, coincidentally coupled with the golf tournament. The 14th annual William Ray Memorial Golf Tournament is that Monday morning. Uh, unlike the previous staff, we've got 10 coaches playing, and we got eight other coaches participating, so... 18 coaches will be at the tournament. And then at the end of the tournament, um, Coach Beamer is going to come by for the awards presentation, say a few words prior to going in for the Welcome Home Tour. So it should be a big Gamecock Monday. Coming and, Scott,
0: this is not for Silver Spur, Golden Spur, Full Scholarship. This is by, for anybody who considers themselves a Gamecock fan and will support the program. Absolutely.
1: $25, doesn't matter you know, who you are. If you, uh, you're a big Gamecock fan, this is a, a absolutely wonderful opportunity to come out and hear Head coach uh, Shane Beamer, uh, he is as genuine as day as long. Last year we had we were fortunate to have the program as well, and uh, we were supposed to start at 7 o'clock, and he came up to me about 5 to 7, and there was a line for people to get autographs, pictures, and so forth, and said, we'll delay the program until everybody that wants an autograph or a
0: picture is going to get it. Every oh, that, day is the Fourth of July that's but with right. Shane. I mean, <laughs> yeah, I, it's, it's kind of a it's, it's, it's disgusting as far as I'm concerned because every day is not the Fourth of <laughs> July. I don't like it. I don't well, like I mean, it. he's a very optimistic. But I, I'll say this: he reminded me of Dabo ten years ago. No. But he really <laughs> and truly does. He has such an optimistic and positive outlook. But I want to go to something that you've invested a lot of your time in, and that is the Gamecock Club. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it, it's, it's, it, we love Gamecock fans, but I mean, this is, I love Tiger fans. The scat does as well, except that one Saturday in, uh, in November, we don't care much for one another, but, but there, there's something about being a shareholder that there's something about when, when you become a fan of a program and then you become a fan of the, or a member of the Gamecock, there's something about that. There's some intimacy that you have with the program once you become somewhat of a, a shareholder. Scat, why was it so important for you to be as active as you are in the Gamecock Club, and how would you encourage other Gamecock fans to look into becoming a member?
1: Well, I think mean, it goes back, you know, went to school there, uh, was a lifelong fan, and then you know had the opportunity to come back and, and connect with people here and uh, get, get them to be part of the Gamecock family. I've always kind of been an organizer type. And uh, so uh, a while Scott back, Scott and actually, I
0: have different skill sets. I'll just <laughs> I'll just leave it there.
1: <laughs> actually, I was l- just looking back. Uh, 2010 is actually when I took over, and uh, and um, I've had a history of doing some golf tournaments and so forth, and that's been our big fundraiser. And over the this will be the 14th year for the golf tournament, but um, over those past 13 years, we've raised over 200 thousand dollars for Gamecock Athletics. So um, you know it, it's a lot of fun. Plus, you know the the side benefits are. Yeah, you get to meet Coach Beamer. You know, get to be friends with coaches, and uh, you know, and that's kind of hard too. Yeah, uh, coaching business is a hard business, and you know, They're here they,
0: today they, and gone tomorrow. That's
1: exactly right. And, yeah, <laughs> and they're they're your buddies, and all of a sudden they're fired and they're gone somewhere else. Uh, so, uh, but it, it's it's a lot of fun, and um, you know, we're 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 at the point now where uh, we need to start uh, got training a younger group to come in and take <laughs> over. So, uh, but uh, it's been a lot of fun along the way.
0: But but a lot of what you guys do, I mean, you're able to help some of the other sports. Uh, you know, everybody pays attention to football, especially the Southeastern Conference, but you guys have been able to help some of the cheerleaders, help some of the women's athletes. I mean, tell us a few things. You talk about raising all this money. Uh, somebody would say, where does the money go? I mean, you guys have specifically dedicated some amounts of that money to certain things of your choosing. Right. Um, uh, we each chapter has
1: had a a specific uh, spring sport. Our, ours happened to be cheerleading. Uh, and but we've also donated to, to women's basketball. We've donated to men's basketball. Uh, we've donated to swimming, golf, tennis. The new tennis center, we helped help them out as well. Um, we're uh, actually it's it's kind of unique in trying to finalize this, but we've um, we actually are sponsoring. Uh, a, we'll have a sponsored door in the ops building for the Florence County Gamecock Club, which was a hundred fifty thousand dollar donation. So um, we're hoping to finalize that this year. So. Uh, it's, it's just a lot of different things. And, you know, we, we have a lending ear and uh, a lot of times, uh, you know, specifically the football coaches have asked for money for football camps to get kids in there. And we've helped out with that. So, uh, we listen and uh, we try to do something
0: different every year, but we have, we really have spread it out around the university. And Skad, it's not whether it's worth it or not. I mean, if you're going to compete, I mean, I, I hear the story, I'm mean, going to hear from Clemson fans and Gamecock fans, damn, it's gotten expensive to be a fan it's gotten expensive to be a supporter this is supposed to be amateur athletics so the next thing you know nil comes along and, and changes it even further in a money-oriented way but but i mean that horse has left the barn see i said that's right <laughs> uh, did. i didn't want to catch Cat off guard i mean, that horse <laughs> has left the barn that train has, has left the station i mean it is what it is and and you and i can complain about it Two clemson fans can complain about it but if you're going to keep up with alabama if you're going to keep up with Georgia, if you're going to keep up with Florida and Tennessee and Clemson for that matter, you're going to have to step out and and raise money and contribute large amounts of money. Um, I'm not saying does it frustrate you or not, but, but have you just accepted that as the reality of being a Gamecock club chairman or president or, or on on a board of an NIL? I mean, it's, it's big money now.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It is big money. And you know, if you look at, um, let's just look at, at at Saturday game day. Um, you know, it's, they've made it so convenient to stay home and watch the game on TV. And we all realize that. So uh, you, you're going to see, and, and as the transformation of stadiums, uh, seating capacity is going down, premium seating going up, trying to make the game day experience m- that much greater to enhance the fan to come to the game rather than watch it on TV. So uh, it's just a reality of that, you know, it, the price
0: tags going up, on, unfortunately. And, uh, you know, you have to pick and choose and prioritize, I guess. So. Okay, l- last question. And, and Scat, this is kind of an inside joke. So promise me that you'll never go on the field or court ever again. (laughs) I need need this archived. I need this memorialized. (laughs) Scat knows exactly what I'm talking about. Uh So so, so I find out that Scat's going to be on the field as the president of a Gamecock club uh, making a presentation. We get the hell beat out of us, (laughs) whatever sport it is. (laughs) I mean, we could be playing Elon in chess, and they checkmate us in 30 seconds if Scat's on Uh on the field, and he knows what I'm talking about. So we're playing like Kentucky in basketball one day, and Scat sends me a picture, and he's got the courtside. I mean, he's got the best seats in the house. He's courtside. I said, don't you step a foot. I mean, we're like up eight with two minutes to go, and I said, don't you step a foot on that court. But it has been something that, that uh, it's that's an funny. honor for you to to be recognized I, and to be a i've part seen of you on tv sitting yeah.
2: in the, well, in the me, good see, seats on the basketball and, and, games. and i can
0: assure you we got the hell beat out yeah. of it i <laughs> promise you whatever game it was we, we got we got killed when scat it's kind of a running joke between between he that's and i funny. but and, but I, I say that tongue in cheek but i mean i appreciate all the work he does it does take a lot of organizing it does take a lot of um giving and and a lot of asking people to help and that's hard to do for most people is to ask others to help but that's what we're asking. We need to sell 50 tickets. Right. Is that what you're saying? Absolutely. got 50 left. I, I
1: I don't have any doubt they'll be gone. I mean, it's a hot ticket. Um, you know, after coming off the end of the year, being Tennessee and Clemson, um, you know, uh, we're on the right track. So. And, and the tickets are available where, Scott? At both Mickey Finn's locations and through any Florence County Game Cut Club
0: board member. Okay. Thank you, my man. Thanks, guys. Appreciate Good to see it. you. We'll yeah. take a break. We'll be back in just a few moments the government g-u-b-m-e-n-d-m-e-n-t will M-E-N-T, will make everything hard christian levis tries to make it simpler we understand we talked a lot about health insurance we'll get to the phone in two seconds bear with me it is complicated everybody's situation is different um there are multiple options that the government allows you to choose from unless you choose to go uh, another way if you're under the age of 65 if you are reasonably healthy You need to call Christian Levis at 843, excuse me, 839 888 3970. Once again, 839 888 3970. Or go to the website, realchoicehealthcare.com. Realchoicehealthcare.com. Under the age of 65, reasonably healthy, interested in saving money, 839 888 3970. Quality plans chosen by you, managed by you, not the G-U-B-M-E-N-T. After all, it's your choice, your health, real choice, healthcare.com. Let's go to the phone.
1: Tony in Calhoun County listening to WTQS. Hello, Tony. You're on the air. Thanks for holding.
10: Hey, thanks for holding. Um, I called in 59 minutes ago. Um, I was trying to get you guys ahead of the news instead of behind the news, instead of chasing it. Um, but at night, I was going to say at nine o'clock, which is 23 minutes ago, Marjorie Taylor Green is supposed to file three resolutions to impeach Joe Biden. If you go to um, green.house.gov, green.house.gov, she says Congresswoman Marjorie Taylor Green introduced three impeachment resolutions against Joe Biden for his dereliction of duty in Afghanistan, his violations of immigration law causing a national security crisis on our southern border, and is usurping of the constitutional balance of power by ignoring the rulings of the Supreme court. Um, so this is law enforcement Thursday or or Thursday. So she'd also moved to impeach uh, FBI director, Christopher Ray and U S attorney for the district of Columbia, Matthew graves. so I don't know if that's being broadcast right now or what's going on, but I tried to get you guys ahead of the
0: news. Thank you, Tony. You appreciate that. Kind of an interesting, uh, I mean, there's a there's a, a, a debate within the Republican Party. I know this to be true whether to fight fire with fire or to be re- more respectful of the rarity of impeachment. remember we talked yesterday Andrew Johnson um, Bill Clinton and Donald Trump twice. I mean those are the American presidents that have been impeached. Now now uh, the impeachment is in the house and then the uh, I guess the trial, the prosecution happens over the Senate. Um, neither time did Trump get him. I mean, he got impeached both times, but neither time was he um, was he found guilty of the charges. It's it's a political process, is what it is. It's not being charged with a crime per se, but rather some political infringement. I think I heard it phrased one day, and that kind of makes a lot of sense. And then there's there's kind of a I mean, it's a it's a debate within the Republican Party. Do you return the favor? I mean, if they have um, cheapened the word impeachment. Do you fight fire with fire? And I used to would have said, no, you know, be above that. But now I think we have to do everything we can. Well, to be turn around as fair play. Absolutely. the majority of Republicans, I mean, 66, aggressive. two of every three Republicans feel as you do. One of every three feel like, let's don't go down that road. I mean, it cheapens <laughs> the process. I mean, we're no better than they are. If we start down um, down that care. road, I don't care. It's time. Well, I I don't disagree with you. I'm just saying that's kind of the debate within. And, and by uh, the way, the Tony, T-O-P. I've I've been sitting here watching. We have
1: Fox up on the the screen on the TV in the studio. I haven't seen anything about Marjorie Taylor Greene's impeachment if she filed anything like that. So if they have, if she has done it, it hasn't made
0: that news that I've seen. Okay, let me ask you a question. Be, be honest, Josh. I want you to jump in. I want to get your in Rev's opinion here. Um, is Marjorie Taylor Greene the lady who cries wolf? I mean, could, could she be guilty of that? She's outspoken. Okay. There's no doubt about it. And is she probably the best messenger for the Republicans? Probably no. not. And you see that there's some hesitation right. there to follow her. Right. If but follow, she is a duly sworn in member of Congress. She's a firebrand. I mean, that's her reputation. That's who she is. Make no bones about it. Josh, is, is the reason people are concerned about Wow, oh, you know, the, 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 the declarations of impeachment because they come from the office of Marjorie Taylor Green.
3: Yeah, I think it's kind of a big nothing burger. It seems like most of the stuff coming from Marjorie Marjorie, Marjorie <laughs> is these kind of stunts and they don't and you know, she hasn't been a big wig very long. But so far, they they're just like so they're they're too big to succeed, if that makes sense.
0: Well, I mean, they're 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 shooting for the moon, so to speak. Right. I mean, she doesn't say, "Hey, let's think about the border." You know, let's. I mean, she's she's a very grandiose politician. I've always been leery, and I'm not saying she's. I mean, I'm not saying these are invalid complaints, and I understand the point Rev's making because I'm kind of with you there. But but at some point, in time everything can't be the biggest moment in the history of American politics. And, and I think Marjorie Taylor Greene is beginning to get a reputation. The only time she shows up is when there is publicity to be had or, or books to be sold or, or a star to be grown even. I'm not saying that's her. I'm saying there's suspicion amongst some Republicans that Marjorie Taylor Greene is, you know, all hat, no cowboy, so to speak. I mean, there's, there's not a lot of work being done on behalf of her being a member of Congress. Once again, I'm not saying that's the case. I'm saying the accusation made by some Republicans is um, find a camera and a microphone when you'll find Marjorie Taylor Greene. Find a subcommittee working hard on policy, and she's nowhere to be found. And, and, I, and I think that goes to Rev's point. Is she the best person to offer up articles of impeachment? Probably not. Uh, probably not. Because, once again, I mean, obviously the the left will diminish and disparage, uh, But but some in our circles— We'll, we'll question, I mean, I've got, I'm thinking of a half dozen people right now that, that think Biden sucks. I mean, they think Biden has lied to the American people. They think Biden is into cognitive decline. They think Biden shouldn't run again. I think Biden's too old, too dumb, too, but whatever. I mean, they, they just think he's a terrible American president, but they're not sure they want Marjorie Taylor Greene leading the opposition. Does that make sense? It makes perfect and, sense. And, you know, I'm not, I'm not, once again, I'm not forming a judgment because I don't know. How diligent she's worked in preparing these articles of impeachment, but but here's what I'll say, and then then I'll we'll take a break. If someone, no, oh, it's too early to take a break. Isn't it? Yeah, we're running a bit. Ahead. Yeah. So so that's we're real, real rare, <laughs> wow. a re, real rare. There, there you go. No, the the point I'm trying to make is perception matters. I mean, perception can become reality if you aren't careful, and the perception. That Marjorie Taylor Greene is leading the charge is not in the Republican Party's best interest. It's just not. Um, I mean, Jim Jordan's a firebrand, but nobody, everybody believes that Jordan has solid footing when he says these things. I mean, we believe that Jordan rolls up his sleeves, literally and figuratively. <laughs> I mean, he's the guy that doesn't wear a, a jacket, you know, when he's doing the um, the office of of being a congressman. But um, I mean, they, they've got some whistleblowers here today that are saying the FBI retaliated against them for uh, for being a whistleblower, I guess. Um, it's a good day for me because so many elements of our government are being questioned. It seems to me, and once again, I don't want to get too far out over my skis. I don't want to get too far ahead of myself, but I read these polls and I'm not talking about a Republican-funded poll. I'm not talking about a Democrat-funded poll. I mean, the, the, You know, a Republican-funded poll is to incentivize the donor class into believing this could potentially happen, and it will happen if we had, you know, another million dollars of your money or another billion dollars of the corporate America's money. You see, I mean, that, those, those polls are—Pew Research does a lot of polls that, that are, I think, fairer and, and less politically motivated— and Pew talks a lot recently about the increase in the number of people who are losing trust in their government. See, see, I believe that's our only chance. I mean, I hear some of these status quo politicians saying that, you know, Donald Trump is leading an army of people to find the government uh, untrustworthy. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I hope that's what he's doing. I hope and pray with every fiber of my being that that's what he's doing. Because I'm skeptical of anybody who says, you know, something other than that. In other words, um, I'm I'm running for Congress because people's faith in the government need to be restored. No, I think people's faith in the government have got us where we are today. I think of last, I think a lack of uh, distrusting of the government has led to complacency and conformity and, you know, vaccinations and shutdowns and lockdowns and You know, complicit government agencies working with campaigns. I mean, that's kind of the cherry on top for me. I mean, you know, I say these things in speculative fashion. I don't know if the election was stolen. I mean, I know there are some things that I can't explain. I mean, I know how many people normally vote in Wisconsin and how many voted, how many normally vote in Pennsylvania, how many voted, but that's it. I mean, anything, anything other than that or anything past that is total speculation. Was it 100, 1,000, 10,000, 1 a million? How many would have voted for Biden? How many would have voted? I don't have any idea. And I've admitted that. I mean, anything past the statistical anomalies is a complete and total speculation or conjecture on my part. But I think it's it's pretty obvious now that the 2016 election was corrupted. Was it? What, was the 2020 stolen? I'm not going there. I don't know. Some of you are. Some of you have made your mind up that the 2020 election would have gone Donald Trump's way had not been for, you know, the ballot harvesting and uh, the private financing of elections and the uh, unsolicited mail-in ballots. I get it. I mean, that, that, that's a pretty reasonable place to land. There are others who say, I got to know more, man. I mean, before before I'm convinced the election was stolen, I've got to know more. That That's kind of where I am. N- n- now, my hunch says something. But, but I don't I don't live on my hunch I, I mean I, I try to live in, in some sort of a fact-based world but but I don't think there's any question now that the 2016 election was corrupt and it was not just corrupted by the Clintons it was corrupted by a complicit FBI it, it's I mean it's almost impossible to argue it was not and I understand the debate the left will have about Manafort and Flynn and you know um, the the polling data what we've gone through that. Fairly extensively this morning, I mean, I went back and read um, the Stanford Stanford Law School's website. I mean, they do a real good job of, um, of giving executive summaries on these, on these trials. And when you go back and look at Flynn and Manafort, the biggest problem they had was lying to the FBI. I mean, that's rich with irony as far as I'm concerned. Manafort and Flynn's biggest legal jeopardy was they lied to the FBI. They lie to the FBI at the same time the FBI is lying to the American people. I mean, that's pretty, I mean, right. once again, that's rich with irony. But but when you look at, you know, Flynn and you look at Manafort, I mean, you see a lot of charges lying to the FBI, um, submitting false statements in support of residential mortgage loans, two counts of bank fraud, five counts of, of tax fraud, one count of failing to disclose an offshore bank account. Um, yeah, Those are crimes. I mean, you know, they were punished pretty extensively, pretty severely uh, for those crimes. Now, now the Flynn case got dropped, or the DOJ actually reverted the charges because they said that the FBI um, was not proceeding in good faith. This would have been in uh, 2017. But but, but I still stopped short because I think I would rather have whatever degree of credibility I have than, than to say something I don't think I can prove. And I don't think I could ever prove that Donald Trump won the 2020 election. I don't think you could prove that, Rev. I don't think anybody can prove that Donald Trump would have won the 2020 election under any circumstance. But I think the Durham report confirms the suspicions that we had about the 2016 election. And when you think about it, guys, it didn't just affect the 2016 election. I mean, Russia collusion was a big part of the 2018 election. The 2020 election, I mean, even the 2022 election, the 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 people watching Seinfeld have heard that Donald Trump colluded with Russia by 90% of the media, and they've kind of got that in their head, you know, that Donald Trump colluded with Russia to win the 2016 election. I can't let him collude with Russia to win the 2020 election. That's the Seinfeld watching crowd. That's not the consumer of uh, political news. That's not those who listen or, or read the Wall Street Journal uh, the New York Times, The Washington Post. I mean, there, There's another narrative there that includes some honest information and some dishonest information. But, but I think in Trump's best interest, I think in the Republicans' best interest, if the Republicans want to have a better chance of winning the 2024 presidential election, whether it's Trump, DeSantis, Nikki Haley, Tim Scott, Vivek, Vivek Ramaswamy, whomever the nominee eventually is, I think the word stolen needs to be replaced with the word corrupted. I mean, it's a less offensive word, but it's a word you can easily defend by saying refer to the Durham report. But the Durham report is 306 pages. There's an executive summary. Even old Jake Tapper at CNN says that this is not good news for the DOJ or FBI. And I think, you know, to say the FBI tried to help Hillary steal an election, I think that's a fabrication. I think that's, that's, that's just speculation. I think to say the FBI aided and abetted, as Andy McCarthy said, highly regarded former district attorney, no friend to Donald Trump. McCarthy says the Clinton campaign pulled one of the dirtiest tricks in American political history, but that's not surprising. That's what political campaigns do. But the FBI aiding and abetting, using opposition research, launching an investigation void of any corroboration, any substantiation, any validation. I mean, that's serious biz, guys. I mean, I don't care if you're left or right, pragmatist, centrist, Republican, Democrat. When the FBI chooses to place their thumb on the scale of a presidential election and we're not alarmed, I mean, half the country say, so what, orange man bad? I mean, really, is that where we are? I mean, I think that's where we are. It's pretty obvious that's where we are. But the media says it's a dud. There's nothing to see here. Uh, the only people talking about it is Fox and conservative talk radio. Nobody else is covering this. The Wall Street Journal covered it in their editorial segment. And the editorial board of the Wall Street Journal says, pretty big deal. I mean, it's a pretty big deal. They say it a lot more eloquently than I say it. But but in essence, I mean, the FBI, I, I don't want to say conspired, because I don't, I mean, conspiracy is another animal. But, but there's no doubt they were complicit in taking opposition research convincing a FISA court judge using that opposition research, altering a document. Let's not forget that. Not only did the FBI utilize the opposition research, the FBI altered the documentation so that a FISA court judge would issue a FISA warrant so the FBI could spy on the Trump campaign. And when Trump said that, Half the country said, orange man, bad. It's got to be a conspiracy. That, might, that, that might, might have been the most honest Trump it has ever been. I mean, in all honesty. He was that, right. That, that might have been the most honest moment in the Trump presidency or, or the Trump candidacy uh, for president. Because Dave Chappelle describes Trump, and I, I, we said it yesterday. I'll say it again. Trump's an honest liar. <laughs> what is an honest liar? And kind of read between the lines there. 843 661 937 We'll take a break. We'll be back in just a few moments. So this hour, we're doing God's work, right, Ralph? We're we're doing good work, not not God's work, G O O D. We're doing good, good work. What work. we stirred up the other times, but um, <laughs> uh, Barry Wingard is with us, and Barry's been with us uh, a lot, uh, many 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 times on behalf of the veterans and uh, making sure that Florence and the PD region um, do right in um, recognizing uh, Veterans Day and Memorial Day and um, and Memorial Day. It's right around the corner. Barry has a guest with him, Wayne Jackson. And um I see Wayne a million times a week at the gym. He and I and I see Barry a lot at the gym. But but anyway, we're here to to make sure you understand what Florence and this area is doing for Memorial Day. Barry, good morning. How are you?
11: Good morning, Ken. Dave. Glad to be here and uh, glad to have Wayne with me. Of course Wayne's a fellow at Gamecock too, I forgot there you forgot to mention it. <laughs> yeah, it's uh Memorial Day's coming. It's always the last Monday in May, uh, May 29th this year. It'll be at the National Cemetery. Sometimes people think it's going to be at the Veterans Park, but uh, Memorial Day is always held in the National Cemetery, and on Veterans Day we do we stuff at the Veterans Park, which is going to be another good one this year. Uh, I'll come back for that if you'll let me. Sure you will. But uh, 10 o'clock, Monday, May 29th, uh, is Memorial Day. In preparation for Memorial Day on Saturday, at 930, uh, that'll be the 27th. Uh, the cemetery staff and volunteers from whoever, Boy Scouts, Girl Scouts, just people looking for something to do, are gonna put out over 12,000 flags, one on each grave. And uh, that's, that's kind of a good thing to, if you got small children, uh, take them out there and teach them a little bit about what patriotism is. But uh, the main event will be Monday, uh, Wayne is going to MC it this year. Uh, he's, Wayne's a retired uh, Air Force colonel. Uh, he does a lot with uh, veterans also, like Veterans Honor Guard in particular, and the PD area Veterans Advisory Council. And uh, I'm glad to have him here today. Uh, you have anything you want to? Sure he
0: does. Because um, I've seen Wayne at times, after his workout, put on his, um, his uh, military attire. And I would imagine you're heading off to a funeral somewhere. Am I right? Yeah, Ken, thanks. Yes.
7: I uh member of the Veterans Honor Guard and typically we'll do five or six funerals a week. And so I just uh, after the gym I'll put on my uniform and go and join the guys and
0: give the final salute for a veteran. Well I don't I don't suspect Barry had to twist your arm but so hard to get you to MC this event.
7: Oh no, I was I'm privileged that Barry asked me to do it. I really am. It's it's an honor to be there and uh, be part of this uh ceremony that's that's most a reverend and very respectful to our fallen heroes, not only at, at Florence
0: National Cemetery, but nationwide. So I'm I'm grateful to be able to help. And and Barry, this is not and, and Wayne either you can answer this, this is not exclusive to military families. I mean this is any family that wants to pay their respect to oh, other absolutely. military families.
11: Absolutely, absolutely. Uh Memorial Day goes back. There's several ideas floating around about where it exactly started from Mississippi to New York. But uh, it all of them are to honor those uh, members of our military who died while serving. Uh, that's what Memorial Day is about as opposed to Veterans Day for all veterans. But uh, this year uh, uh, the uh, the Carolyn Howard and her staff do a great job preparation preparing for this and, and she has uh, lined up some re- reenactor groups that come in, uh, period costumes and again this year we've got uh civil war era cannons which will be fired uh the veterans honor guard that wayne referred to just now will also be out there they will uh do a three-round rifle volley and play taps uh it's a big thing i want to i want to spend a minute or two about our speaker uh he is uh a retired brigadier general named lawrence e gillespie he lives in the dc area somewhere in northern virginia and uh, he was, served two tours in Vietnam as a helicopter pilot and, and uh, lots of other stuff also. He's in the OCS Hall of Fame, uh, and he served over 33 years. And uh, General Gillespie has earned the Soldiers Medal, which is our nation's fourth highest award for valor. Uh, behind, it's right behind the Silver Star, and it's, it's, it's kind of an odd medal you don't hear a lot about because— it's when you risk your life to save another person, not in a combat situation. And I don't know what he did to earn it, but, uh, you know, got went into a burning house or whatever it sure, was. Sure. Um, then, uh, he also has a combat infantryman badge, the distinguished flying cross. I don't have it on here, but I think it was 43 air medals. That's a lot of, mm-hmm. a lot of time flying around. And, um, he retired when he retired, uh, the District of Columbia has a National Guard, but unlike all the others, it is uh, does not have an Adjutant General, because the President appoints the Commanding General of the D.C. National Guard, and he was his last assignment was the Assistant Commanding General or Deputy Commanding General of the District of Columbia National Guard. Uh, I have not heard him speak, but I've I've talked to people that know him and. Say, don't worry about it. He will do a dynamic, do a great job. And I'm going to leave this with you sure. so you can remind people uh, as we get closer. Uh, logistically, uh, when the weather's good, we have five, 600 people out there, and we have some chairs. But uh, if people want to bring a lawn chair uh, or something like that, uh, please uh, feel free to do so. Um I don't know what other groups carolyn has invite or coming but i know she's invited gold star families blue star um we normally get uh, a group of uh bikers i'm not sure if they're if they're coming they rolling thunder usually there's comes. a real big there's a real big memorial day weekend going on in myrtle beach sure. in mean, north myrtle beach this weekend so uh i suspect uh, they'll be going there but that doesn't matter um uh, Another thing is park in the disabilities on National Cemetery Road, the Disability Center, uh, rather than because we, we do the ceremony on the new side of the cemetery and there's not a lot of parking. So the D- Disability Center, which is adjacent, allows people to park there and then you can just walk in through a gate at the back of the uh, cemetery. Um, I'm, uh, I'm very. Uh, thankful that we have a cemetery here. The cemetery itself, you know, is one of the first, at the end of the Civil War, bodies got buried where they were. In our case, it was uh, 1,200 bodies from the prisoner of war camp. Uh, stockade. This is known, Florence Stockade. And those bodies were buried in what is now the old side of the cemetery. And um, sometime after the Civil War, shortly there, that site and 11 other sites uh, were named national cemeteries so that's one of the first one of the oldest and uh like i said it's it's a very hallowed ground and uh uh, hope everybody can come on out uh, monday may 29th
0: 10 a.m and and wayne you're responsible for emceeing i'm a big springsteen fan so i look online at the set list to see what he's gonna play (laughs) he's gonna probably play next night what he played last night i just want to know where under road and born to run are mm-hmm. i don't want to ask you to give me your set list but i mean um what sort of um ceremony do you hope to MC over
7: oh yes sir it's, it's a, a fairly prescribed ceremony uh we'll, we'll have some uh open up with some patriotic music uh then we'll have uh uh, uh color guard will present the colors of the flag uh we'll have an invocation
0: and then we'll move on into the guest speaker it won't be as we do here. Make it up as we go. It'll be, as you would imagine, two guys from the military, it'll be very timely and and in order. It's, it's, it's,
10: it's, very, it's very prescribed
0: <laughs> and, and orderly. <laughs> and, and, and timely and orderly, no doubt about it. I appreciate it, and I mean this sincerely. Um, I mean, we rabble, rouse, and we gripe and complain about a lot of things in America. And, you know, we seem to be deeply, deeply, deeply divided, and we are. And I guess to some degree I contribute. Uh, to that division, and we can do it
2: due to the sacrifice. Well, I mean, of the, the, and, and that's exactly right. I mean, I,
0: that's where I was headed. I mean, if weren't if it weren't for people like Barry and Wayne who signed up and became a part of the U.S. military, uh, somebody would probably be telling me what I could say and what I couldn't say. So, um, so I've always felt very beholden, and I owe a great debt of gratitude to the pretty cool life I've been able to live because people like Barry, like Wayne, were willing to give then and continue um, giving now. We'll take now no, we won't. That's we'll, it. We'll say goodbye That's a wrap. and talk tomorrow.